Welcome, people of God. It is the Dasko Live, and um, we have a critical subject to study. Um, we are looking at the Bible view on the subject called One Saved, Forever Saved. Some people call it the eternal security of the believer and the perseverance of the saints and all of that. Um, you know, this is, this is one of the most hottest uh, debated subjects in, in the church. I mean, you find those who say, if you get truly born again, you can lose your salvation if you don't, if you don't walk according to the word of God. And then we have people who say, it is not possible. If you get born again, you're born again. And there is nothing in the world that can take you away from God. We want to look into the word of God. I mean, and be able to bring out God's word on what the Bible actually says, you know. Um, many people have taken sides. Some call themselves Armenians and Calvinists and Lutherans and all of that. Some believe that this one safe forever safe comes from Calvin. Others say if you get born again, you can lose your salvation and they trace that to um, the Armenians and all of that. But we want to go into the word of God. I want to spend time on their concept. I would want us to look into the word of God and come out with a clear conclusion on the matter. Recently, I saw a video of a very wonderful man of God who is a blessing to the body of Christ. Ask another man of God and said, what do you take? I'm not going to mention their names, but he says, what is your take? What is your take on the subject of one saved, forever saved? And the other man of God said, it's wrong. It's, 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 it's not the word of God is not in the Bible and all of that. But I want us to go through the word of God today and then see what the Bible actually say. You know, I'm going to discuss this point, um, this subject with you from the point that I believe in the eternal security of the believer. If you don't believe it, you want to take your time, listen to me, and then let's learn the word of God together. You know, one thing that is the problem of people who don't believe that once a man is saved, he's forever saved. They say that when you preach that or people who preach that are preaching licentiousness. So. Uh, the man of God who asked the question actually said, um, he asked the other man of God and he said that, what is your take on the message of grace? Uh, uh, once saved, forever saved. Um, some people say that we are once saved and forever so saved. So we can do whatever we want to do and still we are saved, you know. And I believe that that, that wasn't the right way to ask the question. There's nobody that has taught I have not known any man of God who teaches once saved, forever saved, and says that you are once saved and forever saved. So you can do, you can do whatever you want and you are saved. That is not the gospel. The gospel does not save us to do what we want to do. The gospel brings us to the Lord to do what the Lord wants us to do, you know. So once saved, forever saved is not licentiousness, all right? It is not you are saved. Do whatever you want to do and you are saved. That has never been it. And you know, people who don't believe that are quickly, they quickly say that to their people, to their congregation or to the church, to people who hear them and say that, um, people who preach once in forever saved are saying that you are saved so you can do whatever you want. No, no. Anybody that does that 
has not known the gospel. Anybody who is born again, and yes, there are people who are born again who do wrong things, but they don't do the wrong things because they know that they are once saved and forever saved, so they want to do wrong things. In fact, there are people who don't even believe once saved, forever saved. They don't believe that this is the truth, yet they do things that are wrong. And so you wouldn't want to say that once saved, forever saved is, is licentiousness to sin or is, is, is the license to sin because nobody actually needs a license to sin. I mean, you sin and that is what it is. But quickly, let's, let's know that the Bible actually admonishes us to live a good life. I mean, anybody that is born again, the Bible admonishes us several countless scriptures. We're going to spend a lot of time and I know that even in a lot of time, I really don't have time. But we are going to do well to cover something. Now let's go to Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. Second Corinthians chapter number seven, verse one. You know, Paul says, "Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit." perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is God's word. And Paul tells the church, the Corinthian church, that having received these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all kinds of filthiness and, and, and the filthiness of flesh and spirit, and let us perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. Now let's read another scripture. 1 Timothy chapter number 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse somewhere 20. Um, Paul spoke to Timothy, and then he says that, um, verse 20, them that sin rebuke. Now, he's, he's talking about Christians. It's the Christians who are under his authority. When they sin, he should rebuke them before all, that others may also learn not to sin. You see, and then also you read Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews 12, verse 14, I believe, Hebrews 12, 14. The Bible says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God. So we admonish, follow peace, follow holiness. By, by holiness here, he's talking about living in consistency with what God has made you. So follow peace and follow, you know, holiness. Now, there are other scriptures, a lot of scriptures that because of time, we are not going to go through it. You read um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, Romans 6, 19. I think we should read Romans 6, 19. Romans chapter 6, verse 19, an amazing scripture that admonishes us to live right. 6, 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servant to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now that you're born again, now yield your members servant to righteousness unto holiness. So now that you're born again, subject your body to righteousness and holiness, you know. So it is something we have to do. That is what the Bible tells us. All right, let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Let me show you something. Colossians chapter 3, verse um, 5, I believe. The Bible says, Mortify or mortify therefore your members, 
which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, concupiscence, and um, covetousness, which is idolatry, which things seek, for which things seek, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. You know, so he says that, I mean, those who do these things, in fact, the children of disobedience, actually referring to those who are not born again, he says, they are incurring the wrath of God because of these things. So he tells us, you that you're born again, mortify therefore your members, kill, 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 kill your body, the affection, the lust of the flesh, kill it. And then he says, um, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, concupiscence, all these things should not be among you. So it is an admonishment to the Christians, to the church, that we ought to live a life that befits who we are. So in fact, nobody can call himself a preacher of Christ and tell people that you can sin. You can sin because, and, and we say, you can sin. Even if you say nothing can happen because once you're saved, you're forever saved. I mean, that's crazy. That is anti-Christ. That is anti-church and anti-God. God has never been a supporter of sin. And Christ was never a supporter of sin, although he loved sinners. And the Holy Ghost does not support sin, you see. But a Christian may do something wrong. That doesn't mean the Holy Ghost supports the wrong thing that the person did. So nobody, either or either of the two, whether you believe that one say forever saved is false or is true, I mean, none, none of the side can say that once you're born again, you can sin. And you know, people, ministers push this just so that the minds of their people, it's, it's actually a psychological thing they are doing, that the minds of their people will not probe further to get into the Word of God to understand what the Word of God is talking about. You see, so we we'll go into the Word of God and get into all of these things. Now, listen. The Bible made a very wonderful statement in, in Philippians. He says that, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that is Philippians. Let's look at that. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. An amazing scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he tells us we should work out our, our, our salvation. And how do we work out our salvation? By all these things that we have read, you know, he didn't say work for your salvation. He says work out. You don't work something out if, it's, if, if it hasn't been worked in. So he says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right, verse 13 says, For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So work out because God is working in you. You see, work out because God is, people preach this scripture, use this scripture. So the Bible, if you say, work out your own salvation, you know you have to know. You don't work for salvation because the Bible says the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that's what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible says that, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not yourselves. It is the gift of God, verse 9, not of works lest any man should boast. So salvation is not worked for. Salvation rather is worked out. The difference must be clear. It must be worked out because God is working in you. 
You get the point. And you cannot have God working in you if you have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're born again, he comes to dwell in you and he works in you that you should also work out. Jesus is what I see my father do. That is what I do. So what he's working in you is what you work out. You understand? So if the Bible tells you abstain fornication, abstain from fornication, do this and do that. The Bible is not telling you things to do to get salvation. He's telling you who you are and what you work out, which is you have the salvation, you have the wholeness, you have holiness, you have righteousness. Let it come out. So Jesus says one. Jesus said one time. He says that let your light so shine before men. When we live a good life, we are shining our light before men, not before God. Before God, it is something different, and we're going to look at that, right? All right. So um, I'm already boiling for this, right? So. I wrote this down. What is the doctrine of one saved, forever saved? If it is not, you are saved, so you can do whatever you want. Or people say, one saved, forever saved actually means that you are saved and you can do whatever you want and still you are saved. That is crazy. That is very, very crazy. You know, so what is one saved, forever saved? Now, this is something I wrote for you. The doctrine of one saved, forever saved, the teaching or the concept, whatever you call it, it is the irrevocability of the salvation of the one who is effectually called, number one, one who is called, regenerated, that is born again, spirit sealed, and justified believer. Listen, it is the irrevocability of the salvation. It means that the salvation, once it forever saved, seeks to teach that the salvation of the one who has been number one, it called one who has been born again, one who has been spirit sealed, and one who has been justified. Now, all these four words are synonymous to someone who is born again. One who is called, born again, which is regenerated, spirit sealed, and one which, which is justified. We are saying that, or the, the, the doctrine is teaching that, that person who has been born again, his salvation cannot be revoked. So his salvation is irrevocable. All right? Or better still, in simple terms, continuing, ONFS, which is one save forever save, um, um, one save forever save, I mean OSFS, as you can call it, is the impossibility of one who has been genuinely saved to come to the state of losing his salvation and ending up in eternal condemnation, destruction, or punishment. All right? So we're saying that one save forever save is the impossibility, is the teaching of the impossibility of the one who has been genuinely saved, all right, to come to the state of losing his salvation and ending up in eternal punishment, destruction, or condemnation. So we are saying that once the person has been genuinely born again, that person cannot lose his salvation. That person cannot come to a state of condemnation, cannot come to a state of ending up in hell, cannot come to a state of condemnation and destruction. Remember, this definition did not say one who goes to church on Sunday, who goes to church on Sunday. It did not say one who professes that he's a Christian because there may be many professing Christians, but the real Christians are not the same as the number of those who profess to be Christians, right? So I'm saying that those who are truly born again before the eyes of God 
cannot come to a state of condemnation, destruction, or peril, so to speak. Now, a lot of people ask questions. What about the fact that I am genuinely born again and then I sin? You know, that is one of the most commonly asked questions. All right, so I'm born again. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. My heart is in it. I'm born again. I pray in tongues, you know. I go to church. I'm a wonderful guy. And then I sin. All right? If I sin, what happens? What happens if a Christian, a true Christian sin, does that person loses or does that person lose his salvation? Emphatically, no. Emphatically, no, because even those who believe that you can lose your salvation, the moment they do something wrong, they go to God in prayer. You get the point. So it means that sin does not cause doing something wrong in this context as sin does not make one lose his salvation. All right. Now, let me, we are going to have a walkthrough in the scriptures. What happens when a Christian sins? All right. Ephesians 1 7. Let me read something to you there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there because I have a lot of things to share with you. All right. Seven. So the Bible says, in whom, now talking about Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, in whom we have redemption. Now the word redemption there is the Greek word uh, aphasis. In whom we have redemption through his blood. All right. In whom, sorry, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So in whom we have redemption. Now I said the, redemp- the word redemption is aphasis, no, it's apolytrosis and forgiveness is aphasis. So in whom we have apolytrosis, which is in whom we have deliverance. We have our deliverance in Christ. All right. Then he says that this deliverance actually is the forgiveness of sins. So telling us that in Christ we have redemption. And our redemption in Christ, which is through his blood, is our forgiveness. So he says in Christ we have we have forgiveness. Now, the word forgiveness there is not a verb, but a noun. So it actually means it's a package that we have in salvation. So in the package of salvation, we have in, 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 in the gift of salvation, in the package of salvation, we have something that is called forgiveness. So we have it in his or through his blood. All right. So through his blood, we have forgiveness. Now let's go to Colossians. Let me show you something in Colossians as well. Colossians, you can find this same thing, uh, this same scripture in Colossians. All right. Now let's read Colossians chapter 2, verse, um, I believe, 13. Yeah. All right. Let me start from 12. Let me start from 11. I think that's, that will be fine. In whom also ye are circumcised in Christ, you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. Now, this is not talking about water baptism. That's another day. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Who hath raised him from the dead. Verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins. Remember, in your sins. And the uncircumcision of your flesh. Hath he quickened together with him. Having forgiven you all trespasses. So he says, 
when it comes to the Christian, God has forgiven him all his trespasses. All right? So, God does not hold your sin against you. Or God doesn't hold the sin of the Christian against him. So, when a Christian does something wrong, what is he supposed to do? When the Christian does something wrong, number one, he must notice or know that he has his forgiveness in salvation. So, in salvation, he is forgiven. And that is what gives us the confidence to approach God. That is what gives us the confidence to know that we have a father. So when a Christian sins, if a Christian fornicates, if a Christian does whatever, whatever sin, something about what about the unpardonable sin? We're going to talk about that. When a Christian does anything wrong, his forgiveness is in the blood of Jesus. And his redemption is in the blood of Jesus. His deliverance from sin is in the blood of Jesus. And the disposition of God to the sin of the Christian is that I have forgiven you. So when you read, let me show you something. When you read First John chapter number 2, verse somewhere, I said somewhere, I just mean that uh, verse something. <laughs> All right, listen. My little children, these things write I unto you, I mean verse 1, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate, we have a lawyer, we have a council of defense with the Father, and this council of defense is Jesus Christ the righteous. Then he says, he is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation there means he is the appeasement. He is the payment. He is the atonement. He is the propitiation for our sins. So the sins that we commit, the sins that we do, Jesus Christ is the payment. He is the appeasement. To the sin that we commit. Alright. Now this is very very wonderful. Now let's read. Verse 12. Verse 12 of the same book. He says. I write unto you little children. Because your sins are forgiven you. For his name's sake. Now this is. What sin is. Or this is what forgiveness is. In the life of a Christian. Who does something wrong. So the Christian who. Occasionally. Or does something wrong. That Christian must know that that sin that he committed, that sin has been forgiven. Now, oh my goodness, I wish I had time to talk to you about forgiveness. Listen, forgiveness is actually a release. The word aphasis is a release. Forgiveness is a release. So forgiveness is not, it's not just a pardon, all right? There are three dimensions of forgiveness. Number one, your pardon for the wrong that you did. Number two, your release from the prison of the sin, and number three, you are empowered not to go back. So forgiveness actually is freedom from sin. So when a Christian sins, he is, for example, if you do something wrong, the Bible says, to what you yield your members for, you become servants of it. So if a Christian yields his members to, to sin or to, to sin, to fornication, to whatever, he sort of become a slave to that sin. In other words, he is, he is bound, all right? He is bound by that sin. So the forgiveness, the perpetual forgiveness in Christ actually perpetually frees the Christian from ever being bounded by something wrong that he does. Now this is the gospel of Christ. And you've got to believe it, you know. So I'm saying that when a Christian does something wrong, that Christian has forgiveness in Christ. All right, man of God, Mr. Preacher, what if this person keeps on sinning openly? 
So, for example, this guy committed fornication, prayed to God or whatever we call it. The person was forgiven, forgiven, and now he's really in need every day. He's fornicating here and there and stuff like that. What does the Bible say? The Bible does not teach that the person who lives in an open sin loses his salvation. He doesn't teach that. No. Now, we have a very wonderful example in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read that chapter to us and we are going to be fine with that. I'm here to tackle the subject once and forever sake, right? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, before I do chapter 5, I think I should give you the prelude, the introduction, uh, the preface of the whole book. So let's do 1, 1 to maybe 3. So 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and sustenance our brother unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified. Now Paul says, I'm writing to them that are sanctified. In other words, I'm writing to holy men. I'm writing to people who have been separated. So I'm writing to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Those who are called to be saints. Now the word to be is italicized, which means it wasn't in the original. So those who are called saints. With all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Both theirs and ours, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, 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 you get it? So he says, I'm writing to saints. Now imagine your senior pastor is beginning a letter to you, to your church. And he begins, or you, or you chanced upon a letter that a man of God was writing to one of his churches. And then he begins to give this salutation or this greeting that um, I'm writing to the church in uh, Corinth and then these people are called saints and these people are sanctified. You're expecting everything to be all right, right? Now, verse chapter 5 tells us the people that Paul was writing to, Paul said, I'm writing to people who are called saints. I'm writing to the sanctified. Then chapter 5, he says that it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Listen, Paul says that I'm writing to saints and he's giving us the details of the saints, of the sanctified, and he tells us that it is commonly reported or it is reported commonly. It means, it means everybody has been talking about it. So these saints that I'm writing to are saints that have the common reportage of fornication. You get it? So these people are fornicating. I mean, if I was poor, I mean, even as I'm teaching, if I was poor, and you have people committing fornication, committing fornication in your church, there's no need for romance. There's no need to say I'm writing to saints. Quickly, you just have to say, God will judge you. You know, God will judge you. You will burn in hell. You understand that? Nobody begin by telling the people who were fornicating. No, he, he tells us that the fornication was so grievous that one person, there's one guy in the church who was sleeping with a stepmother. I mean, they were having sexual relations with, he was having that with the stepmother. He was sleeping with the step, his father's wife. In fact, if I was poor, I would have said, God will judge you. You will die in hell. You will burn in hell. You know, I mean, but Paul begins by saying, I'm writing to say it. Man, Paul, are you crazy? No. Listen, then Paul says, and listen, he says they sleep, and this guy who sleep with the mom, he says that, and you are puffed up. I mean, he was proud of it. This guy is a Christian. And he was sleeping with the stepmother, 
and he was puffed up. And the whole church is puffed up in sin. You know, and have not rather mourned that he had done this, that he that had done this deed might be taken away from among you. I mean, this guy is in church and openly is living in sin by sleeping with the stepmother. And the church looked concern, unconcerned. I mean, it's fine. He comes to church and, you know, that's fine. The guy is living in sin and nobody talks about it. And Paul says that, no, you should rather mourn. So Paul tells us, if a Christian who does something, there's something that is expected first, godly sorrow. Now I'm going to talk about that maybe one day. But God is so grace doesn't teach that you have you have sinned and say, Oh, thank God. Oh my God, my sins are forgiven. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Oh my goodness, let's move on. No, anybody that is born again with the Spirit of God has that, that sorrow. You get it? That sorrow. But this guy had so much lived in open sin because you know, if a Christian continues to sin and 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 sin, and sin it comes to a point. His conscience is no more alive. He begins to trivialize the wrong things that he's done. So that was the state of this guy. But truly, this guy was born again. Now, Paul says this. Verse, verse 2, the last part. He says, um, let me read it. He says, and ye are puffed up. My goodness, I have a lot of things to share with you today. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he, have, he that have done this deed might be taken away from among you. So if the person is living in an open sin and seems unconcerned, that person should be taken away. We, we tell the person, don't come close, don't come close, and all of that. Now, Paul says that, for I verily, as absent in body but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a pressing unto Satan. It says to deliver such an one to say unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So Paul says that when that Christian is living in an open sin, the person must be delivered to Satan. You know, I heard, I heard somebody said, the Bible even said we should deliver them to Satan. So how do we do that? What you know to deliver to Satan doesn't mean look for the address of Satan and knock on his door and say hello. They say hi. He said, I'm looking for Satan. He says, Satan is sleeping. It's all right. Call him that we have a serious case. All right. So Satan comes up and says, Oh, what are you looking for? He said, All right, this is one of God's kids, and he's messed up. And we are to apostles say we should deliver him to you. No, to deliver unto Satan is a figure of speech, right? It actually means to deliver him to opposition. All right. The word Satan means the one who opposes. So the, the, the term Satan actually refers to, for example, in the Akan Proverbs, we say that um, um, when there is a head, we don't put a cap on the knee. You get it? It's a proverbial statement, which actually connotes a message. So the audience of Paul at that time understood what Paul was talking about. Through our study, we are going to find out People Paul delivered unto Satan. To deliver unto Satan simply means, you know, deliver the person to opposition. Nobody talks to him. Nobody mingles with him. It is a disciplinary, an extreme disciplinary uh, measure taken against the one who is born again or the one who identifies himself with the church. May not be born again, but really identifies himself with the church. We may not know. 
against that person. You get it? So nobody talks to him. Nobody fraternizes with him. Nobody even shows him kindness and stuff like that until he's done serving that kind of punishment. So Paul gives the reason why this kind of, in our context, this kind of extreme punishment should be given to the person. He says that so that the spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. You get it? So he says that, listen, this person must be disciplined, must be disciplined so that the flesh, the flesh here is not referring to the physical body. The flesh refers to his sensual desires, his sinful lust. He says that so that it will be crushed, it will be destroyed. And these days, we see people who get suspended in churches and quickly they leave the church because there are a lot of churches and they go to another church and the pastor says, don't mind them, don't mind them, come and see now. We're all children of God. Now that's crazy. It is still valid today. If the person is living in an open sin after he's been spoken to, he's been taught, he's met the elders, elders have spoken to him and all of that, and he continues and he's not he's puffed up, then we got to kick that brother out. All right. Now he says that, verse 6, your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little living, leaving it the whole lamp, purge out therefore the old living, that ye may be a new lamp as ye are unliving, for even Christ our Passover. A sacrifice. Now, this is amazing. Amazing. So, he says that, get that brother out before he, he uses this kind of stupid behavior to affect everybody. So, you get him out and the rest become aware and, you know, they become awakened to righteousness and right living. All right. So, Paul says that, listen, you can do this because Christ, who is our Passover lamb, is sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old living, neither with the living of malice and wickedness, but with the unliving bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortionists, or with idolaters. For then must ye need go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother, so if anybody that calls himself a Christian, whether truly or whether by convention or just by association, he says, if that person calls himself a brother, don't associate with that brother if he is a fornicator. In other words, if he fornicates openly and he is very proud of it, all right? He says, don't keep in company with that brother. Or if he is a covetous person or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one, no, not to eat. He says that if now there are there are there are really strong disciplinary measures in the New Testament, in grace, I mean. All right. So in such a person, you don't eat with the person. If we know that this brother is a fornicator, fornicated, he's been spoken to. No, he's been all this. No, no, no. Such a person, he says, everybody get away from him. Because that is a threat. That guy is a threat. Now he's not talking about somebody who fornicated once or who... Now, that's wrong anyways, right? If you fornicate, there's no small fornication and big fornication. But there are people, right after the first act, second act, or third act, whatever, they have this godly sorrow. Such people, their forgiveness is in Christ. These people too, their forgiveness is in Christ. But they must be disciplined so that their flesh, the flesh, the lust of the flesh will be destroyed. You get the point. So Paul spoke about such people. I'm just simply answering, what if a Christian sins? So number one, 
If he sins, he must know that he is forgiven. If he lives in an open sin, so let's say a closed sin and an open sin. So the closed sin, if it's just something he's doing somewhere and he's he's got that you know heart of repentance or whatever, this person forgiveness is in Christ. No need to worry that brother. But the brother who is living in an open sin, that person must be disciplined. But the discipline does not repudiate his salvation. So Paul says that for the, for the destruction of the flesh, but his spirit to be saved in the lost day. So that brother is saved in his spirit, but we want to try and help that brother to maintain discipline in the flesh. You get the point? So there is disciplinary measure or there, is, there are disciplinary measures in our faith. That is in grace, all right? Now, so that's the first question. What if the person sins openly? I've really answered you. Now, I want to talk about apostasy, all right? Apostasy. What if the person refuses to continue with Christ? What if the person actually goes away from the church? You know, in the case of Judas Iscariot, People have a question. Would Judas Iscariot go to heaven or hell? Because at least Judas Iscariot didn't help Jesus to die. And if Jesus was born to die and Judas Iscariot through him, he died. Then, you know, the guy did something great for the kingdom of God. I'm going to answer that right now. We also, Paul mentioned a guy whose name was called Demas. Demas, who Paul says that he's left me because he loved the world. And people say Demas was with Paul. I mean, there are scriptures that prove that Demas was actually born again. And Demas left Paul, so he lost his salvation. We're going to look at that in apostasy. And then Himanios, Himanios and Alexander, one brother and uh, one brother, Himanios, Alexander, and Philetus, or somebody like that, who also um, preached another doctrine. And Paul said he delivered them to Satan and all of that. So, what if the person commits apostasy? First of all, what is apostasy? Apostasy simply means a falling away. All right? To leave, to forsake, to fall away. All right? Now, let me show you something. Was Judas Iscariot born again? A question that we must ask. All right? Let's look at something in John 17. John chapter 17, verse 12. Let me read something to you here. Jesus was talking about Judas' characters. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou givest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition. Now, the word perdition there is the son of destruction, all right? The son who is for hell, all right? The son who is for destruction. He says that that the scripture might be fulfilled. So, who was he talking about? He was talking about Judas Iscariot. So, Jesus calls Judas Iscariot the son of perdition. So, we come to know who Judas Iscariot is. Judas Iscariot is not a saint. He is a son of perdition. He is a son of misery. He is a son of destruction. That's what Jesus is saying. So, Judas Iscariot can't go to heaven. Alright? Let me show you some other scriptures. Let's, let's, let's look at who this guy was actually. You know, Jesus said something about him. John chapter 6. 
John chapter 6, verse, I think, 70. I believe 70 something. All right. Jesus says something. He says that Jesus answered them, Have I not, have not I chosen you 12? And one of you is a devil. And the word devil there is diabolus. All right. I think when we were young, there was a movie like that. Diabolo or something like that. I don't know where that movie passed. But Diabolos, right? Referring to the slanderer. One who's a slanderer. A word that referred to the devil. So one who's a slanderer. He says, have I not chosen 12 and one is a slanderer? One is. Not one has become. One is a slanderer. All right? So he was a slanderer. Actually, when you read... Um, Verse, I think verse um, 64. Verse 64. Let me show you something. 64. He says, but there are some... Jesus was talking to his disciples. He says, but there are some of you that believe not. And Jesus was talking to his disciples and said, there are some of you that believe not. All right? So, Jesus' days, there were disciples. People were close to him. Even plus the 12 who did not really believe and contextually you read you come to 70 and jesus ends on the one that will betray him which was judas iscariot so judas iscariot was not even saved in the first place he drifted away when you read i believe Acts chapter one all right 24 and 25 so this one they wanted to choose matthias and they prayed and said thou lord which knoweth the heart of all men show whether of these two Thou hast chosen that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. So, all these scriptures actually gives us a painting or a picture of who Judas Iscariot was. Alright? So, Judas Iscariot was known to be among them, but he wasn't of them. Very, very important. He was known to be among them, but wasn't of them. He drifted away. Judas Iscariot actually committed apostasy. Now, I know people say apostasy is someone who was a Christian and rejected the faith. It's not entirely true. Not entirely true. Because apostasy here, if we, we, we look at Judas Iscariot's own, is one who actually came close to Jesus, partook in everything of Christ. But intrinsically, was not regenerated. Very, very important. Now, when you read Matthew 13, the Bible talks about uh, th that word is also there. I think apostasia or something is there. And he speaks about those who receive the word of God, the, the ground that received the word of God. And because they had no root, by and by they got offended. And the Bible says they fell away. Now, the word fell away, there is apostasy. So, they, these are, this is a, a soil, a ground, which received the word with joy. They received the word. Oh, my goodness, I love the word of God. They received with joy, but they did not have roots in themselves. There was not a deeper connection. So, like those who were connected to the vine, the branches that are connected to the vine, and don't continue in the vine. And then they are chopped off the vine, and so that it will be made manifest that they were not part of the vine in the first place. So, this soil received the word, but fell away. You know, so it means that he had contact with the word, had contact with the gospel, but was not regenerated. So Judas Iscariot was not regenerated. 
You see, Peter, on the other hand, also renounced Jesus, rejected Jesus thrice. Jesus saw that coming and he says that I have prayed for you that when your faith stands, get your other brothers up and help them. So Peter rejected Jesus thrice. But Peter was the apostle, one of the greatest apostles in the New Testament. What am I trying to say? There was a true conversion in the heart of Peter that couldn't make it possible for him to lose, to, for him to lose his salvation. All right. So anyway, that is that is Judas Iscariot. So I would say that Judas Iscariot was a disciple, all right, because he was chosen by Jesus, but there was not, or he wasn't a true disciple, or he wasn't a believing disciple. I mean, I'm amazed that Judas Iscariot could walk with Jesus, and the Bible says that Judas Iscariot was a thief. He stole, he stole money. He stole money in the book of John. Judas Iscariot was a thief. And he was stealing money. Tell somebody, don't be Judas Iscariot. Now, the second person was Demas. All right? People say Demas committed apostasy. Let's look at Demas, who Demas was. And if Demas, I believe Demas was born again. Let's look at the scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. My God, we need a lot of time for this. All right. So Paul speaks concerning Demas. Now, let's look at it. So, verse 9, Paul is telling Timothy, do thy, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me. All right? He's forsaken me. He was with Paul. He's forsaken me, having loved, having loved um, this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Christians to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. So, he says, Demas has forsaken me. Now, Demas didn't forsake the Lord. He forsook Paul. You know? So we can't say Demas also lost his salvation. I mean, people quote this to say Demas lost his salvation. But let's look at Demas. I mean, he was with Paul. Colossians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul saluted Demas. Uh, actually mentioned the name of Demas. And then um, Philipp, Philemon chapter 1, verse 24. You have that also. You have that name there. And Paul called Demas my fellow liberal. So, Demas left Paul. Demas did not leave Christ. And Paul says that Demas left him because he, has loved, he loved the world. It's either Demas, there was a persecution somewhere and Demas wanted to run away or run away somewhere. Or, you know, like an instant that happened between Paul and a brother. I think it was Barnabas or someone. Yeah, Barnabas. And they wanted to take... Um, another brother and Paul says no and because of that they had to separate and stuff later they came back together it was one of the issues like you leaving your man of God and stuff like that so that is that the guy leaves the man of God and the man of God thinks that he's going to chew grass but it's not like that all right so Demas did not leave Jesus Demas did not leave Jesus so he didn't it wasn't apostasy it was apostasy to Paul but not apostasy to the Lord all right all right now let's look at this Two guys, I mean, two guys whose name appear here. First Timothy 1.20. First Timothy 1.20. People have questions. That's why I'm answering them. 1.20. Man of God, teach, teach on one thing for us. Don't worry. I'll get there, right? So verse 19, Paul says, Holding faith and a good conscience 
which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. So they made shipwreck of their faith. Of whom is Himanius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So we see the giving unto Satan here. Paul says, I'm giving unto Satan. It means that I have, I have given them to opposition. I'm not in contact with them again because they blasphemed. Now, Paul mentions them, I think, um, let's look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Paul mentioned them in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I believe. Oh, glory to God. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. There is somewhere there. Tell somebody, but somewhere there. All right. 17. Now, so Paul in 16 says, But shan profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Verse 17. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Himanius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, all right, saying that the resurrection is past and overthrow the faith of some. So, first Timothy, second Timothy shows us who these guys were. These guys were false teachers. They were not Christians. They came into the church, but they were false teachers. They were teaching something different than that which the gospel actually says. Now, when people do that, this is what the Bible says concerning them. 2 John 9. 2 John 9. 2 John is just one chapter. Whosoever transgressed and abided not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abided in doctrine in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. So, um, um, Himanios and, and Philetus, they, they didn't have God because their teachings were evil. Their teachings were not the teachings of the church. So, they were not Christians. Alright? So, Paul had to give them to Satan. Paul had to withstand them. Paul had to withstand them. Paul had to, you know, to excommunicate them from the church so that they would not learn to blaspheme. But then, later on, writing to Timothy, then he shows us who these guys are. Now, these guys are people whose teaching don't eat like canker. And their teaching is actually saying that the resurrection is past already. The resurrection is past already. Because, you know, in the early church, they were waiting for the resurrection. It, was, it is part of the Christian doctrine that Christ is coming again. So if somebody tells you Christ has come already, that is not a Christian doctrine. He tells you that that person is not born again. You know, so if you ask about apostasy, this is apostasy. Somebody who comes close, who comes very close, to the point that you cannot actually, I'm going to show you from the scriptures, right? You can't actually say that he's not born again. We have tongue-talking people. We have people who have created for themselves some tongues. We have people who go to church every day. Yet, some of them even have fruits. Some fruits, some convincing fruit. Alright? But there hasn't been a true conversion of the spirit. So such people gradually will fall away. Let me show you something. Something amazing. Let's look at um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. 
Did I say First John two nineteen? Of course, that's what I said. All right. So First John chapter two, verse nineteen. John says that these people. I'm talking about in in our context of study. I'm talking about um, um, human nails. He says these people. They went out from us. They went from us. They left us. He says, but they were not of us. They went from us. They left us. But they were not of us. So, we, you saw them walking with us every day. But they left because they were not of us. Then he says that, because if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us but then he says but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us very very critical so he says if these guys actually were of us he didn't say if they were with us he says if they were of us if we were born by the same father he says no doubt they would have continued it means that anybody that lives in this case anybody that commits apostasy was not off. You get the point? So he, listen, the point is that our problem, a lot of, the problem that we see today is that we just go to pick the dictionary and we begin to define Bible words, which is very, very wrong. Well, for example, if you pick a dictionary and you try to, you try to define righteousness, righteousness simply would mean that doing something good. But biblical definition of righteousness is very different. The Bible says righteousness actually is right standing with God which cannot be found in any dictionary. So you don't pick apostasy and subject to Oxford Dictionary. You get it? Apostasy in Islam may not be the same as the apostasy in Christianity. Apostasy of Islam may be somebody who, be, who was truly a Muslim deciding to become a Christian or become something else. So the person have committed the sin of apostasy. But in Christianity, apostasy is somebody who was with us, somebody who was with Christ, Somebody who was with the church, who was connected to the church, who was seen to be with us, finally showing his true colors by leaving us as a proof that he wasn't of us. Don't, this is very, very important. That is apostasy. Anybody that gets up to say that I used to believe Christ, that person was not born again in the first place. Anybody that says, I used to go to church, but now I'm not, I'm not going to church again. You know, there are people like that. I used to go to church. I was very, very faithful. I was playing drums in church. I was doing this, but now I don't believe in Jesus again. There was a guy who I spoke to and said, I, I was in church and I was, I was playing drums and keyboard. But now I've joined a Jagraja movement. There's a movement called Jagraja, something like that. Some crazy doctrine stuff. You know, you, you left so that it will be made known that you are not of us. That is apostasy let me show you another now listen let me read verse 20 very very important to let you know that apostasy is not one who is born again living because that's not possible and i'm going to show you that listen he says they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would no doubt have continued with us but they went out that they might be made manifest that they might be made manifest that they might be revealed that they were not all of us. You get it? They were not all of us. Then listen. Then he says, but ye, but ye, talking to the Christians, he says, but ye, 
ye have an unction. Says, but ye have an unction from the Holy One. So they left. You can't leave because you have an anointing from God. Oh, glory to God. So you can't leave. You can't, you can't leave as a Christian. The damage has been caused. That damage is called the infusion of the anointing into you. You get the point? So he says they left because they were not of us. Then he says that, come on, for you, you have the anointing. And in fact, almost all the scriptures, when I was making this study, almost all the scriptures people quote as a proof that one can lose his salvation, right at the bottom of it, you will see a confirmation to the saints that you are not like them. For you, you're staying. I just read a scripture to you. Let, let's, let, me, let me show you that. Quickly, let me show you that. Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter number 2. I'm just enjoying this, brother. Second Timothy chapter 2. Verse somewhere. I said somewhere. Alright, so let me start from... He was talking about um, Philetus and Himanios. L listen to that. He says, and their word, for 17, their word doth eat <laughs> and their word will eat as Dora Kanka, of whom is Humanius and Philetus, who concerning the faith have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. So some of the, the faith of some are overthrown. You get it? Does that mean these people lose their salvation? Emphatically not. That's not what he's talking about. Their faith is overthrown. They either become liturgic or they become apathetic or something like that. Now verse 19, he says, nevertheless, that, that's a strong word. Nevertheless, notwithstanding, despite the fact that some faith, some of the faith of people are overthrown, he says that nevertheless, the foundation of God standed sure. Oh, glory. Then he says, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Look at that. He says, God knows them that are his. The foundation of God remains sure. What is the foundation of God in this case? The word of God. The word of God remains sure. And that word has this seal. There's that seal that God knows those who are his. And those who are his will not follow such, such, such trash. Those who are his will not leave Christ. It cannot be possible. You get the point. All right. So let's continue. Uh, let me read something to you. I've read John 9. Let's, let's look at Matthew chapter somewhere. Matthew chapter 13. Um, I'm still talking about apostasy, right? Maybe I'll find time and we'll look at it beautifully. So Matthew 13 verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed a good seed in his field. He sowed a good seed. So the seed is good. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tars among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tars also. So the servants of the household came and said unto him, Sir, did not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tars? Remember, the tars and the wheat were on the same ground, the same place. Then this is what the master said. So he said, he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Without then that we go and gather them up and bring them somewhere. 
But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tars, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tars, and bind them in, the band in bundles, and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. You get it? So, now, Jesus uses... Tars and wheat. Now, tars and wheat actually are the early stages looks the same. You can check this out. Tars and wheat. They look the same. At the early stages, they are the same thing. No change. They look the, they look the same. It will take a critical aspect, probably, to be able to know. So, here in this parable, it is referring to look-alikeness. You get the point? Look-alikeness. So, he says that what we see. Who walked the places that we went to? He was with us when we were going for crusades. He was with us when we were preaching to people. He was with us all this while. But then, never had a true conviction that Jesus Christ truly is the Savior of the world. And the person actually leaves the faith. Such a person is not one who was born again, who has committed apostasy, but one who was close to us. To the point that even the biggest microscope couldn't pick him out. Alright? But time gave us the vindication or gave him or revealed and manifest who he was actually. So that is the difference. So don't, 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 don't get it twisted. Alright. I've been told that we have done an hour and almost 30 minutes now. And I'm just amazed who is actually pushing the time. All right. Now, I wrote something for you. I said apostasy with these scriptures, apostasy scripturally then will mean one who walks amongst us, receives the word, etc. as one of us, yet hasn't been truly converted in his spirit. The falling away of such a one is the revelation of who he truly was. So apostasy actually brings to bear to let us know who actually these guys were. You get the point? Because, listen, when... Let me read something to you. I think First um, Timothy chapter 4. My God, I haven't even started with the subject yet. Jesus. First. Timothy chapter 4. How can this guy can talk? All right. Listen. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Now that is aphistemi. All right. Which is actually to make a stand against or to make a stand off. So in the latter times, the Bible says the Spirit is speaking expressly that some shall depart from the faith. And they will give heed to seducing spirit and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience served with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meat, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature is good, and nothing is to refuse if it's received with thanksgiving, sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. All right. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith 
and of doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. You get it? Now listen, so he says that in the latter times, some would depart from the faith. Now, from the faith here, you know, people use this scripture. This is one of the scriptures people use to, to say the Bible talks about the fact that people are going to commit apostasy and they are going to depart from the faith. Now, from the faith here, he says in context that this is their dep- the, the, this is what is going to, this is the meaning of their departing from the faith. Number one, they will they will they would give heed to seducing spirit, doctrines of devils, and they will speak lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience set with a hot iron forbidden to marry. So these are the things that they are going to do, which are going to get them from the faith. And from the faith here refers to the body of truth. It's, this is not referring to the act of belief. You get it? That's why I was talking to you about the fact that you allow the Bible to explain itself in context. All right? Because if you hold on, you know, some people just go and they look at this pimp, they'll just, they'll just hit what it means. What is the Greek word for faith? And then, oh, the Bible says they will depart from the faith and the Greek word for faith is this and stuff like that. Here, if you use the Greek word to define faith, you'll be wrong. Here, faith is referring to the body of truth. So they will depart from us. They would they will become sluggish. They will not be interested. Why? Because they will give heed to seducing spirit. All right. Now, having done this and spoken about the apostasy thing, let's wow. Let me make a strong point here. Apostasy is different from to backslide. Apostasy refers to one who is very close to us and leaves us, but was never like us, or like was never us. Now, to backslide, actually, to backslide, you know, I heard somebody who said a Christian cannot backslide, and that's wrong. A Christian can backslide, you know. So, to backslide actually refers to a Christian who backslides. A Christian who lives in sin. A Christian who falls like a fallen soldier. All right? Or somebody, a godly person. In the Old Testament, the people of God, people who were with God, like David, Solomon, these mighty guys, and they commit sin. They backslide, you know? So um, David had sexual intercourse with a man's wife. Um, what's the name? Uh, Bathsheba. And that was, he, backsl- he backslided, all right? Or he backslided. I don't know, but he he backslid it, right? So, to backslide actually doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. A backsliding Christian hasn't lost his, his salvation. You know, now this is a, a very big blow, but we're going to look at something. Let me show you something. Let's talk about a man like Solomon. Let's talk about Solomon. You know, Solomon in Second Chronicles... Let's go to Second Chronicles. Join me. Let's run to the city of Second Chronicles, chapter one, I believe, verse one. And Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him, and magnified him exceedingly. You know, so Solomon was a guy. God was with Solomon. God loved Solomon because of David. 
God was with him. And God magnified him exceedingly. All right. And this same Solomon, the Bible says, he walked according to the statutes of his father David. I mean, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. You can find it there. At Gibeon, Solomon chose wisdom over riches. We all have that story. Solomon, God asked Solomon, my friend, tell me what you want, you want and I'm going to give to you. And Solomon said, Lord, I don't need money. I don't need nothing. I need wisdom because the people that I'm going to, I'm going to be a king over, they are great. You know, they are great. So I need wisdom. Give me wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. And God says, because you never asked for money, because you never asked for riches, because you never asked for your enemy's head, I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you wealth to the point that there's not going to be anybody that will be wealthier than you. You get the point? And there's not going to be anybody that has ever lived that is going to be wiser than you. So God gave Solomon wisdom. And by the wisdom of Solomon, you know, Solomon built a great temple, 2 Chronicles 6-2, um, dedicated uh, a prayer and a temple, you know, 1 Kings 8-22, thereabout. Now, and we know Solomon wrote Psalm 72, Psalm 127, most of the book of the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the songs of song, the song of songs. You know, this is a great work. Solomon, a mighty man of God. My goodness, wow. But do you know something? I wrote this down. In the latter years, Solomon's spiritual fervor diminished. His fire came down. Can you imagine somebody who was with God, mighty with God, saw God in a vision, asking him what you want and I'm going to give to you? This guy in the latter part of his years, by the time we're counting his wives, he had 700 wives and had 300 concubines. Can you imagine? All right, so polygamy is not a sin, man of God, so forget about what you're talking about. Come on, 700 wives. Do you know what that means? If Solomon decides to have sexual intercourse with one of them every day, Solomon for thousand days. Can you imagine? Solomon is going to use thousand days. How many? How many days do we have in a year? Three hundred and something. Three hundred and sixty-five. Can you imagine one year? If Solomon chooses to have sexual relations every day, by one year he wouldn't finish his wife, his wives. Let's think about that. He is going to use about three years consistently firing. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And, you know, a man who had met God in the early days of his reign, a man who had walked with God in the early days of his reign, became like this. And amazingly, sadistically, the Bible says something. The Bible says that... Uh, Solomon's heart was turned away from God. Can you imagine? His heart was turned away from God by the multitude of the wives that he took. Let's go to 1 Kings. I think I've got to read that, this to you. In 1 Kings. Oh, man. This is amazing. I love the word of God. Verse 4. He says, for it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. And as, as was the heart of David his father. Verse 5. 
For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did his father David. Verse 7. Then did Solomon build an high place of Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon, Ammon. And likewise did he for all his trained wives, which burnt incense and sacrifice unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. You know? And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Look at that. This is Solomon. I mean, in our case of, 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 of these people who believe that once you're saved, you're not saved, you know, we'll say Solomon would have lost his salvation because nobody knows what happened to him. He died in that state. All right? He died in that state. Now, but Jesus, Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 31, speaks about Solomon. Jesus in Luke speaks about Solomon. Luke eleven thirty-one. Let me show you something. Luke chapter 11, verse 31. This is an exhaustive study, right? So you got to open up and let's go. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the utmost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus actually compared himself with a godless man. A man who ended up following the idols of his wife or uh, of his wives in our minds today as christians i don't think nobody is ever going to think that solomon will end up in hell i don't think because the way we love solomon and the way we preach about solomon yet the bible says this guy followed idols in his old age in all the wisdom that was given to him by god so you look at his latter part of life and some of the things that he wrote in ecclesiastes and you wonder, you wonder, you wonder, you know. Now, having spoken about Solomon, let's talk about something. Something in Judges, I mean Judges chapter 16. Something shows Delilah where his strength is. And this something guy was messing up all around. And shows Delilah where his, his strength is. You know, somebody asked a question one day. The person said, what will happen if a Christian commits suicide? Would that Christian go to heaven or go to hell? Do you also have that question? All right, let me tell you something. Samson did not just commit suicide. Samson committed genocide. He killed, he, you know, when his strength came back, when his strength came back, and then the Philistines gathered, and they were, you know, chatting, talking, and enjoying life and all of that. Then Samson prayed a prayer. He said, God, I want to die with these people today. I just need some wall to hold. He held the wall and shook the wall. And the Bible says that the whole building collapsed on them and they all died. Plus Samson himself, he died. That was genocide, mass killing of human beings. Which is bigger than suicide. Now, man of God, are you saying, I'm telling you the Christian commits suicide, you go to heaven. Does that mean we should commit suicide? The Christian who commits suicide... 
does not even know who he is. You know, because if you're born again, you will know that it can't get worse with you. No matter what we see, the Bible says, for we know all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. So a Christian is not supposed to commit suicide. You know why? Greater is he that lives in him than he that is in the world. And we know that it can't get worse with us. The Bible says, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Christ. So if you're born again, you have overcome the world. No matter what you see, you overcome the world. You don't need to kill yourself. But suicide doesn't take a Christian to hell. Let's talk about, let's talk about this gentleman. 11.32. Let's look at the, you know, the heroes of faith. The heroes of faith. 11.32. It says, by faith, the harlot Rahab. Uh, I'm reading 31, right? Perish not with them that believe not when she, when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson. And of Samson? Samson is being referred to as the one who committed genocide. And he says, Samson is listed among the hall of fame. The, 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 the hall of fame for faith. Then let's look at that. The Bible says that, and these all, verse 38, including Samson, these all having obtained a good report through faith. What? He mentioned Samson, he mentioned David, he mentioned all these guys. Some of them did crazy stuff in the Old Testament. And he says all these guys received good reports. Good report of faith. Then he says that, uh, but they didn't receive the promise. So you see, God having provided something better for us. So all these guys, Solomon, we, we can't say Solomon lost his salvation. We can't say David went to hell. We can't say Solomon went to hell. Something went to hell. No, because something is mentioned in the New Testament and he's placed in a place of faith. And the Bible says he, he obtained good report in the New Testament. Say he obtained good report. All right. Now let's look at... Um, I've spoken about Peter already. Peter denied Jesus Christ three times and he was restored. All right. Now, so we have seen that apostasy, apostasy has nothing to do with a true Christian. Apostasy is the one that looks like us, that talks like us, that behaves like us, but is never of us. The Bible says, ye are of God. We are of God. If that somebody is of us, the person is born by God. The person hails from God. No, he is with us. You know that no matter how a man may look like a car, he will never become a car. And the fact that somebody enters a garage will never ever become a car. So you cannot, you can be with the cars at the garage, but you are not of the cars. You don't belong to their fraternity. So that is apostasy. I know people, people are going to be like, no, apostasy is, no. Apostasy is one who is like us, one who behaves like us, one who is, who, who is looked up to like us, but intrinsically is not us. It's not of us. You get the point? So it is possible 
for those people to leave. So that is it. Now, let me use some few minutes here and let's talk about some scriptures people quote to say that we can lose our salvation. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, right? I'm yet to talk to you about the subject of salvation, all right? So just let's enjoy ourselves. 927 1 Corinthians, something Paul said that confuses a lot of people. 927. All right. Paul said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a docimus. I myself should be a castaway. You know, in the video I spoke to you about. The man of God who was answering said that, Paul said that I put my body under subjection and he was relaxed, you know. He's a very mighty man of God. I love him so much, but I will not mention his name. And he said, you know, Paul said that so that I will not be a castaway. That cancels the whole subject of one save forever save. But listen, Archbishop Nicholas Duncan Williams taught something. He said, for you to do Bible study, for you to understand Bible study, you should study the Bible, you should study the pretext, the post-text, the context of the text. You know, I love that thing a lot. That is Archbishop Nicholas Duncan Williams. That's what he said. You know, so we are going to apply his principle here. We are going to look at the pretext, the, po the post-text, and the context of the text. Such a wonderful rhyme. Anyway, so what was Paul talking about contextually or pretextually? Or potextually, postextually, you know, all right. So let's do verse 20 somewhere. 24. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are incorruptible. I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the earth. But I keep my body under subjection, lest by that by any means, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a cast away. So what is what is the meaning of to be cast away in this context? To be cast away actually means that to lose your price, to lose your reward. Check it. That's what he's talking about. So he's not Paul is not saying that I will lose my salvation. No, but I will lose my price. I will lose my reward. Paul speaks about that same fact in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's get to chapter 3. Verse somewhere there. Verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon he shall receive a reward if any man's work shall be burned he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire so the man will be saved but he will lose his reward that is what he's talking about. He being a castaway means he losing his reward. You get the point? He losing his reward. That is con the contextual argument Paul was making. 
has nothing to do with salvation because Paul wasn't addressing salvation in that regard. And I believe that actually enters your head. Um, let me take 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. I can't address all of them. I think you should inbox me. You can write under the live comment. I'm going to pick some of them and I'll be answering you alongside. I quoted a scripture. I said 1 Corinthians where? Okay, 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Did I say that? All right. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. My goodness. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortionists shall inherit the kingdom of God. My brother, if you are a Christian and you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You just have to take your time, please. You have to take your time and let us apply again the rule that Archbishop taught us. Archbishop says we should do the pretext, the context, the protext, the posttext of the text. All right? Okay, so let's look at it. He says that what is the context? So he said that um, 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 fornicators, blah, 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 shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Who are the Christians? Verse, the next verse says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. Such were. You were like that. You are not like that now. So you are a different breed now. He says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed. So if I'm talking about Christians, I'm talking about those who are washed. I'm talking about those who are sanctified. I'm talking about those who are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Then he tells the Christians now, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of many of any meat for the belly and belly for meat, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the body for and, and the Lord for the body. You get it. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then? Oh, makatala Oh, glory to God. This is amazing. Look at Paul. Paul is telling the Christian, the reason why you should not fornicate is because your body is a member of Christ. You see how Paul thinks, and you see the teaching of Paul. Paul is not telling the Christian, don't fornicate, else you go to hell. No. He says, don't fornicate because you are a member of the body of Christ. You are too holy to sin. That is the, that is the argument of Paul. Anybody says, huh? Once a forever sin will cause you to sin. Anybody that sins with that message and has it in mind that I'm, I'm amazingly sinning, he is with us, but not of us. So he says, now listen, know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ? Wow. So if I pick my hand to sin, I'm using the hand of Christ to sin. Kadalabai. If I'm gossiping, I'm using the mouth of Christ. Do we know who we are? We are the members of Christ. Think about it. 
We are the members of Christ. Paul wants us to know who we are and why it is unlawful for us to sin. Hell, going to hell is, is, is a small matter. You get it? It's just it's, it's a trivial thing as compared to who we are. If you tell somebody, if you tell a Christian, don't sin because you go to hell, you didn't communicate the mind, you didn't communicate the mind of God. No, but you should rather tell the person, don't sin because you are a member of Christ. Listen, he says that. He says, know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make, make them the members of a prostitute? God forbid. So God forbid. is the reason why God forbid. God forbid that I will fornicate, Paul says, is because I am my members. My body is members of Christ. Every part of me is Christ. Every, oh, glory to God. Listen, do you remember when, when Jesus met with Saul of Tarsus? He said, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I mean, Paul had never met Jesus before. But you know, the moment you touch one of the kids of Jesus, you touch him. So every one of the Christians, every one, every one of us is Christ. If somebody persecutes you, he's not persecuting you, he's persecuting Christ. You know, if somebody is defiling you, he's defiling Christ. Now, the Bible made a very wonderful statement. He says that, know you not. Some people have misconstrued the whole thing. Look at that. Let me show you something. Oh my goodness, this is getting interesting. He says that, know you not. First Corinthians chapter, chapter 3, verse 16. Know you not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. If any man, if, if any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Now listen, I know people have preached this scripture to say that, know you not you are the body of Christ. If you commit fornication, God will destroy you. That's not what this scripture is talking about. He says, if know you not you are the temple, because the Holy Ghost dwells in you. If any man, he didn't say if you defile yourself. He says if any man, if any man, if any man, if any man defile the temple. So in other words, if any man defiles you, because you are the temple. If any man defiles you, him will God destroy. So if anybody attacks you, he becomes an enemy of God. You get the point? So if anybody defiles you, and here actually, he really has nothing or a little to talk about fornication. He's talking about people who seduce people with evil doctrines and stuff like that. If anybody defiles you, you, that, listen, he continues, he says that, for the temple of God is holy, and which temple ye are. So ye are the temple. If any man destroys you. See, we, we, we like to read our minds into the Bible. We like to let we, we, we like to, 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 to get the Bible to believe what we believe instead of us getting humble, getting into the word and being trained by the word of God. You get the point. Like like look at that. If anyone destroys the temple, him God will destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are? Say I'm the temple of God. You know, so he says that shall I take the members of Christ? And fornicate with it. He says, God forbid. So Paul is teaching us that, listen, the reason why you shouldn't fornicate is not because of hell. 
That matter is settled already. But whilst you are here on earth, know that you are the physical embodiment of Christ. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. You get it? The church is called the body of Christ. It means we are the reality of Christ here on earth. We are Christ on earth. So the Bible says, as he is, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, as he is, so are we in this world. You see us and you see God. You see us and you see Christ. Does Christ fornicate? That's what Paul wants to tell them. Does Christ fornicate? No. Does Christ steal? No. Does Christ commit sin? No. So therefore, because you are the members of Christ, you ought not to sin. So you ought not to sin because you are the body of Christ. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse uh, uh, 9, 10, as we read, is not referring to Christians. He says, don't you know that these people will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't imitate them. They are people who, don't, who are not in our kingdom. For example, like the Christian who is imitating a Muslim. No, and so I'm telling you, don't you know a Muslim will not, will not be in our house? Don't you know a Muslim will not, will not, is not part of us? So, get yourself away from them. You get the point? That is the, the, the scene. That is the scene. Or a Muslim talking to, talking to his child and saying, that, don't you know Christians don't believe the same, the same things we believe? So get away from there. So you are actually, he's actually calling his kids from the wrong place. So he's not saying the Christian will not inherit the kingdom of God. No. The Christian, oh my goodness, he said, Jesus says, it is the desire of, he says, little children, it is the desire of your father to give you the kingdom. <laughs> oh, glory to God. It's God's desire to give us the kingdom. And then Jesus says, for the kingdom of God, they will say, yes, there is the Lord, that kingdom is within you, is among you. And that was Jesus. Jesus in the midst of the people was God's kingdom among the people. Now Christ, the Bible says in 127 of Colossians, Christ in you. So as we're talking now, that kingdom is alive in us. The kingdom of God is in us. You get the point. So we are not trying to do to enter the kingdom. We, we are kingdom citizens. Oh, glory to God. We are kingdom citizens. You know, we are kingdom citizens. The Bible said, so we are kingdom citizens. It says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That's who we are. That's our identity. We are not trying to go to heaven. No, 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 no. You know, people are like, we are preparing the church to go to heaven. You can't prepare the church to go to heaven. You don't take, no pastor will take anybody to heaven. No. Why? Jesus says, I am the way. The truth and the life. If you want to go to the Father, a man who believes in me goes to the Father. Having believed sincerely and genuinely in Christ Jesus, you become a child of God. You know what that means? <laughs> Heaven is your place of origin. Philippians 3.20, that's what he says. Let me read Philippians 3.20 to you. My goodness, I'm kind of digressing. I'll come back right now. But it's getting very, very hot. All right, he says... For, all right, verse 20. I'm reading from the Bible, sorry, basic Bible in English. Is it basic Bible in English? Or Bible in basic English? I don't know, BBE, I don't know what it is. Go check it out, right? I'm enjoying myself. Verse 20 says, for our country is in heaven. From where the Savior of whom we are waiting will come, even the Lord Jesus. We, our country is heaven. Do you tell a German who has German uh, 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 German pass that you will not go back to Germany. How? It can ne- That's where 
that his that's his place of origin. That's his place of origin. That's where he comes from. So nobody can tell us we are not going to heaven. Not even God. Not even God. You know why? Because we are his kids. And the Bible says we are accepted in the beloved. 1 6 of Ephesians. We are accepted in the beloved. So God looks at us with joy. You understand the point? Now, I, I'm behaving as if I'm ending. I'm, I'm not even done yet. So, where were we talking about? All right. So, I think let's look at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, Matthew 12, Matthew 12, Matthew 12. So, Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, this is one popular scripture people use to, you know, say that you can lose your salvation if you commit the unpardonable sin, you know. Contextually speaking, that's not true because in context, Jesus had done a miracle and I think we should look at that. I mean, verse, all right, so 22, then was brought unto Jesus one who was possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him in so much that the blind and dumb spoke and saw. All the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devil. So this is the, the, the Pharisees accusing Jesus. Now, these were not believers. These were not people who had believed. These were Pharisees, people who didn't believe in the ministry of Jesus. And then they said, no, what Jesus did, he did by, the, 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 he did by Beelzebub, another name for a demon, a demon of flies or something like that. And Jesus says that, what they said was a blasphemy, you know, or um, what they did. Jesus used what they did to talk about the blasphemy. So he says, anybody that talks against the Son of God will be pardoned. But whosoever talks against the Holy Spirit, what is the talking against the Holy Spirit in this context? Talking against the Holy Spirit is actually denying, rejecting, um, um, resisting, and um, taking as a mean thing the works of the spirit you get it the works of the spirit this is not referring to the one that is born again but the one that constantly rejects the supply of the spirit through jesus and this actually can 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 refer to the gospel as well one who constantly rejects the gospel and then ends up in misery has no hope of life again and cannot be forgiven there's there's no forgiveness in hell, there's no forgiveness. You understand the point? So this one too actually has nothing to do with salvation and the losing of your salvation. Jesus was talking to Pharisees who were not born again in the first place. Now, one of the hottest verses, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, where Jesus says, I will spew you out of my mouth, right? Let us look at it. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. Like I said, I can I can handle all these scriptures in this meeting because I have a lot of things to share. But um, I'm still here for you. So 15. All right. Revelation chapter 3 verse 15. Now Jesus says that I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were hot or cold. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Somebody said, 
Jesus says, I'll spew you out of my mouth. So it is possible because Revelation was written to the church, you know, the seven churches and stuff like that. All right, this one too, in contextual study, you save yourself of this mess. So if you stay only on the 15, that is what it's kind of supposed. But the latter verses actually explain it. So let me pick it from verse 14 and let's read through it. And unto the church of the uh, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right? You know, the angel here refers to the pastor, the messenger. Um, all right, somebody said I used to say every every church has an angel, but that's not what it is. It's referring to the pastor there. So it says, and unto the, the the angel of the church of or the messenger of the church of the Laodiceans, right? These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, that's Jesus. Now, he's, Jesus is talking. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. Talking to the church in Laodicea. I would thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Let's continue. Because, so this is their problem. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. And have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He's still referring to the church, right? I counsel thee to buy of me gold, try in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the, sa the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thy eye with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Verse 19 is where the message is. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. The word chasten there actually means I discipline. So this is a disciplinarian communication. All right? He says, I'm disciplining you and I'm rebuking you. So I spew them, I will spew you out of my mouth. It's not you lose your salvation. I will discipline you. It's, it's a discipline. Now let's look at it. Then he says that, be zealous therefore and repent. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So, in context, what is the problem of the Laodicean church? Has nothing to do with immorality. All right? Their problem is lack of zeal, lack of fire for the work of God. You get it? They were doing the things of God without any fire, without any fervency. So, they were neither cold nor hot. They were just lukewarm. They were just, you know, as if they will do, as if they will not do, as if they are doing, but they are not doing. That kind of lifestyle. So he says that I will spew you out of my mouth. It does not mean you lose your salvation. What the, the, the um, should I say cultural or historical, um, um, the historical culture behind this is that Laodicea was in between two towns, Hierapolis and Colos. I think Hierapolis was at the north and Colos was at the south. Now, hot water, there was a hot water from Hierapolis, from the north, I believe, and it comes, and Laodicea actually didn't have so much water supply, so they depended, and it was known for its commercial nature, business type of thing, and you know, that's why Jesus mentioned goods, riches, and all of that. That was what, they were used to business. They were used to commercial business and stuff like that. So he says that um, the, 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 there was a water from Hierapolis um, which was hot, and there was another from Colos, which was at the south, I believe, and which was cold. The one that was hot, actually, was for medicinal purposes, all right? And the, for medicinal purposes, they were using for medicinal purposes. And 
The one that was from Colos, which was which which was cold, was for refreshment. You get it. So Jesus says, "You are neither cold nor hot. I want you either to be cold for medicinal purposes, or uh, sorry, cold for refreshment, or hot for medicinal purposes." So either way, Jesus says, "I want you to be useful." If you can't be for medicinal purpose, at least be for something. Now, what happens is that when these two waters are put in together, they become lukewarm. And when they become lukewarm, it, it gives a certain foul smell. So if you give it to any visitor to drink, as the water in its lukewarm self, that visitor can only spew out. You get it? So it is not the people, the water will be spewed out. Now, let's look at it. So Jesus says that, he begins by saying, I know thy works. So it means that I know thy works. You are neither cold nor hot. So your works are neither cold nor hot. So the reference, what Jesus is talking about is not salvation, it's works. It is works of a Christian or works of Christians. Are you following this? Works of Christians. So he says that you, the, your works are neither cold, your works are neither hot. They are neither for medicinal use and they are neither for refreshment. So therefore, I can't take it. It's it, if your works are neither cold nor hot, it is like it is like lukewarm, it is like hotness and coldness put together, being served. And when it is served, you know what is happening. What happens? What happens is that we spew, we spew it out. So therefore, I will spew you out of my mouth. What does that mean? Then Jesus says that if you don't want that to happen, what you do is that you become zealous. These guys were not fornicating. These guys had not rejected Jesus Christ. These guys had not done anything. They were simply becoming lukewarm. They were lukewarm and they were rather trusting in riches. They were busy with their business. This is a message for any pastor whose church members become more concerned about money, about business, about, you know, and becomes very lackadaisical with the things of God. So if somebody is not on fire for the things of God, either in refreshing or healing, you get it. If he's not doing something cold, you know, I know some people say the, the coldness is going against God. If you want to go against God, go against God. Let us see that you are against God. So we say, if you be cold, be cold. If you be hot, be hot. Jesus says, I want you to be cold. So it means the, the coldness is not in reference to openly living against Christ. It is not living in sin or something like that against Christ. You see, the coldness here is something Jesus likes. And the hotness is something he likes. What he doesn't like is putting the two together. So he says that, and you know, the point is that those who were in that place, the Laodicean church understood what Jesus spoke about. So you can't be in America, be in Ghana, be wherever, and quickly uh, uh, conclude that Jesus is saying that I will spew you out. No, this is, for example, um, those of us in Ghana, you know, for example, I'm sent by my mother. I was sent by my mother one day to go and bring her handbag. So I go, I bring the handbag. As I want to take something, she takes whatever she wanted to take. And then she says, all right, go and take it back. Then I ask my mother, this is, this is Ghanaian, typical Ghanaian culture and setting. I ask my mother, mommy, should I put the bag where I placed it? You went to pick it from a place. An African mother, correct African mother. My mother says, come and put it on my head. You know, come and put it on my head. Now, imagine this is written. If this is written, and let's say 2,000 years later, 1,000 years later, 
and some people chanced upon it and they read it. If those people don't understand the, con uh, the cultural setting and the communications that it carries, that pe those people will make a mistake of thinking that after you pick a bed, I mean, some people can even pick a revelation out of it. My goodness. He said you should pick the, put the bag on the head. Come on here, somebody. Come on, slap somebody and put the bag on your head. You know, that's crazy. So you need to understand the cultural communication to be able to understand the communication at hand. Now, this is something like this. Or, for example, somebody says, uh, uh, we don't put a cap on the knee whilst the head is there. And then an American who doesn't know this proverb is thinking, oh, my goodness, this is something big. Glory. Oh, glory to God. We don't put the, the thing on the knee. My God, I'll put it on my head. Your problem is that you don't understand it. So you ask, what is the meaning of that statement? The meaning of that statement is that we don't, for example, um, we can't bypass your father and communicate something of the family with you. So the person that is the right person must be dealt with instead of, you know, getting to someone else who is not the head. So it is a figure of speech that actually has it, that is pregnant with the communication. So Jesus, Jesus couldn't say this to Corinthian church. He could only say that to the Laodicean church because historically, Laodicean, the, uh, the, 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 that church or that community did not have enough water supply. And what Jesus could only use was warm water and cold water. Hot, warm water for medicinal purposes, cold water for refreshment. But when it comes together, it produces a, like coffee. All right? Coffee. You either take it hot or you take it cold. You don't mix it together. If you mix it together, I mean, it, it, takes, it takes something. So Jesus says that, if it is mixed, we don't know whether you are hot. We don't know whether you are cold. We can't actually know where you are coming from. I'll spew you out of my mouth. Does it mean you lose your salvation? No. He started by saying, I know your works. So your works will be rejected. I reject lukewarmic work. Because it is only those who are lukewarm that produces lukewarmic works. So I will spew you out of my mouth. The you there actually is referring to the works. Go take your time and read again. Now, then he concludes. Jesus gives the conclusion. Look at the conclusion. He says that to the one that I love. So meaning Jesus is telling them, I love you. I love you. Would Jesus cast away one he loves? Of course, no. So Jesus says, the one I love, I rebuke and I chastise. The word chastise there means discipline. So it means that all the harsh word that Jesus spoke is a rebuke and chastisement. That is the biblical definition. Don't, don't add any, anyone to it. The biblical definition is that um, don't be lukewarm, else I will spew you out of my mouth. has nothing to do with salvation. What I mean by that is that, have you ever spoken to somebody and the person took you out of context? You're right. The person just took you out of context. For example, I like telling people, maybe my leaders or some people like that, I mean, we are talking. And I can become like I'm serious. Then I'll just tell you, my friend, leave there, leave there, leave, leave there. Leave there actually. If leave there means leave there. Leave there naturally means I'm sacking you. But those who live in the rainless fraternity knows that when a man of God is talking and say, leave there, leave there, leave there. Oh, my friend, leave there. It means that he's not really snobbing you. Man, of, it's a way of man of God's communication. You get it? Sometimes 
when I say something, or I'm bringing out something, and you have one of the ministers try to bring a suggestion, and that suggestion is good, and I'm accepting it, all right? And I'm accepting it. So I say, okay, okay um, this, that, that, that. I say, all right. Oh, master, Master, it's okay. So leave there, leave there, leave there. It actually means I'm taking what you're saying. That is, that is our balance. My balance between me and my leaders. So if somebody from any ministry carries that without understanding our mode of communication in the ministry, he will miss out on the whole message. And that is the problem of several preachers today. You get it? That's the problem. For example, Paul spoke, Paul spoke about, therefore, I don't want any woman to teach and blah, 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 without actually understanding where Paul was coming from and what happened for Paul to make that statement. Or, for example, Paul says that when a woman prays with her head uncovered, he dishonored the head. And then if a man prays with the head covered, he dishonored the head and all of that. And people now, people make um, um, a scarf. If you're a lady and you come to church and you don't have something around your head, you can you imagine? Meanwhile, Paul, in the communication, started by saying that the head of Christ, he says the head of the head of every man is Christ. The head of the head of the man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So he tells us the head. Then he says that if any man prays with her head covered, he dishonored the head. So which head is Paul talking about? He's not talking about this head. He's talking about the head he said he said before, and the head is Christ. So every man who prays with Christ covered dishonored Christ. You get the point. So it's not the physical head. Then he says, any woman who prays with the head uncovered, anybody who, any woman who prays with a husband uncovered, dishonoring the husband. What does it mean to cover your husband? You know? So that becomes the communication. What does it mean to, to cover your husband? The Bible talks about the fact that love yourselves, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. As you would submit to Christ. So in other words, you praying with your head, which is your husband, covered, actually um, uncovered, actually means that you don't humble yourself. It means a married woman who do not submit or who does not submit to the husband is not qualified to even pray. It is it stinks before God to be a married woman and openly disrespect your husband and then Expect your prayers to receive divine attention. It doesn't work that way. So the covering, the covering of the head of women has to do with submitting to your husband, loving your husband as your husband also loves you. It, it doesn't mean your husband can just go haywire, beat you up, and still say, Ah, God says I should submit, you will die. You you really die. You really die. You just have to run for your life. Now listen. So the covering of the head of the woman would have to deal with submission. So this is. A this is communication that you have to understand probe further to understand what the man is talking about. And this is one of them. So lukewarmness refers to put this water, put this water, put together. And we don't really know what is what. So Jesus says that, listen, let me read again. He says that, thou says I'm rich, increased with goods, have, no, have need of nothing and knowest, uh, uh, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. Any Christian who trusts in uncertain riches, this is your description. You understand? So Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If any man hear my voice and open open the door, I will come into him and will shut up. Uh, um, will sup with him and he with me. So some people just said, some people said, um, this cannot refer to the Christian because Jesus has stand at the door. Listen, Jesus never said, I stand at the door of your heart. He says, I stand at the door. Actually, it means that what I'm telling you, I, I'm trying to get your attention. If you can open up to me and hear my word, I will come. All these things are kind of figure of speech. You understand? So he's still talking to the Christian. Then he says that, to him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my father's throne, even as I also I, I, even as I also overcame, and I'm set down with my father in his throne. So Jesus says to him that overcometh. But the man of God, the Bible says that we have overcome. Listen, we have overcome, we're overcoming, and we shall overcome. Why? There is, we are glorified. There is the present glorification of the saints, and there is the future glorification of the saints. You understand the point? So it has nothing to do with salvation. Nothing to do with salvation. So in, in, this, in this scripture as well, uh, this scripture as well was quoted by the, the man of God. He says, the Bible says to him that overcome it. So salvation is a daily work. I agree, it's a daily work. But your salvation is done. It's done. So to him that overcome it here is not to him that who works for salvation, but to him who is able to walk with Jesus to the end, to him who is able to receive the communication that is coming from the Lord. So the one that overcome it here will be the one who repent and become zealous and do the things of God. You understand the point? Listen, in Bible interpretation or in Bible study, you don't quickly get up to put scriptures together. That is very wrong. We used to do that. For example, you're talking about faith. You begin to go uh, into a concordance or something. You look for scriptures concerning faith. You write all of them. You go to quote them here. Quote faith, 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 faith is this, faith is that, faith is this. You know, you'll be wrong because sometimes the Bible will talk about faith and it's not referring to faith as you want to preach it. The faith is talking about maybe the body of truth, the body of the Christian truth. Christ is referred to as faith. So, you know, you don't just go, especially those of us who use uh, my sword Bible, we just type in there and the words will come. You begin to quote, quote them. It doesn't work that way. So you look at the contextual placement of the word and the definition given to it by that same word. Very, very important. Very, very important. Because sometimes you look at some words and the place that it is placed. Actually, for example, let's talk about death. If we say that you are dead, you are dead actually means that you, you are not alive. So if you, if you generically preach that into all scriptures, you will mess up. Paul says that, for I am dead, right? For I'm crucified with Christ. I'm dead. It means I'm dead. Paul says I'm dead. And then he says, the life I now live. How can you die and live? You get the point? Paul says that for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. How can you be dead and you still have life? You get it? So sometimes you allow the scripture to explain itself. Another scripture, um, I think 1 Corinthians 14, the Bible talks about the fact that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, he says that if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. Now, in the Greek, this spirit in 14, 14, and that spirit, which is the spirit of the prophet subject to him, all of them in the Greek is pneuma. But contextual study, actually, my spirit prayer means my human spirit prayer. Um, the spirit of the prophet actually does not mean that a prophet has a different spirit. It actually means the ministry of the prophet. When you read contextually, you find all these things. So you don't quickly 
pick verses or words and define them as you understand it. You have to allow the scripture to, 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 to give you the definition of those words. I believe you get it. So that is that. These are some of the scriptures that actually people use against um, once saved, forever saved. Somebody said, man of God, we are waiting for the big one. You know, there are, there are many. We can't go through all of them. But I think you are not going to forgive me if I don't, if I don't treat Hebrews 6 and Hebrews, Hebrews 10. So let's go to Hebrews 6. Let's do this and see if we can begin the service today. All right? Great. So let's go to Hebrews 6. One of the, you see, one of the hottest verses is Hebrews 6. Wow. It's amazing. I have used to battle with that scripture before, but thank God for knowledge. All right. So, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the word to come. If these people shall fall away, my God, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Paul said, it is impossible. So Paul says that somebody may have been enlightened, may have tasted the heavenly gift, may have been a partaker of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. That person actually can fall away. Come on, you don't, you don't say things like that. Let us, you see, I would need about 30 minutes for this. But I'm going to very, I'm going to summarize it, right? Because we have a lot of things to share. The book of Hebrews must be understood. What is the book of Hebrews? Why the book of Hebrews? What is the communication? What is the intention of the author? This is also part of studying the scriptures. To whom was the book written? And why was it written to the one it was written to? Now, I'm going to answer this. Let's get to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. Hebrews 1, 1, Hebrews 1, 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 simply is telling us, is giving, is, is reading to us, to know the place of the Son of God. So he says, in, a t- in time past, God spoke in different ways to the fathers. All right? In the prophet. That is, that is the, the Greek construction. The Greek construction actually is not by the prophet. It's in the prophet. In the prophet here refers to the prophetic books. All right? So the prophetic books, that's the word. So it, he's not talking about the people. He's talking about the books of the prophets. So God spoke in sundry times. He spoke in different ways, all kinds of ways to, to our fathers in the prophets. Now, then he says that, but in these last days or in the end time or in the last days, he has spoken unto us by his son. So this is the juxtaposition of the son, the prophets, a book that just opposes the son and the prophet. 
And listen, the, 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 the book is about the word. Remember, it's about the word. I want you to pick these keywords. Very, very important. He says, God spoke and God has spoken. God spoke and God has spoken. So we are dealing with words here. Now, when you read Hebrews 1, he tells you how the sun is bigger than angels. Because this book is written to the Jew, to the Jewish Christians. Number one, it was written to Jewish Christians, people who were Jews, but who have genuinely believed in Jesus and were facing persecution. And therefore, some wanted to go back. Number two, people who associated themselves as Christians with the Christians as Christians who are really not Christians. And rather, some of these guys were teaching that there is the need for the Christians to go back onto Moses. You get it? So the author is responding to these issues. So he's going to tell them how, how Jesus, the son, is bigger than angels. That is chapter 1. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. Listen. So let's, 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 let me quickly do this with you, right? Verse 13. 1 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time, he, he actually talks about this in chapter 8, chapter 8, chapter 7, chapter, I'm sorry, verse 7, verse 8, verse 8, he says, but to the son, he said, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and set of righteousness is the set of thy kingdom. That's love, righteousness. So he says the son is God. He's referring to the son as God. And he's saying that none of the angels have ever gotten the place of Jesus or of the son. So verse 13, he says, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until... I make thy enemies thy footstool. Verse 14. Then he says, Are all these angels not ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? He didn't say that they are sent to minister to, but they are sent to minister for. You get it? For means that they are our servants. To means that they, they instruct us. The Holy Spirit ministers to us. Angels minister for us. It means they serve us. We send them. All right? So he says that, are they not all ministering spirit sent forth? So to which of the angels did God ever say, sit on my, sit on my throne? Now listen, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 1, he says that, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which, which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So the author is now talking to the Jewish Christian. I want you to have this, because there are sometimes the author will say, we, us, and if you don't take time, you sometimes you even say brethren or brothers. But these brothers, because in the New Testament, mostly when you find the word brothers, brethren, it's referring to the church. But here in Hebrews, it has its, it has its own dynamism. That sometimes the brothers, brethren, and all those kind of things, it's not referring to the church in particular, but it's referring to all of them as Jews, which is the church, which is those who are trying to be, to be part of the church and stuff like that. So he says, therefore, we ought... To give the more earnest heed to the things which you have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So, who are the we here? He is not referring to Christians. He's referring to he's not referring to Christians in particular. He's referring to the Jews as a people. Inclus included in it is the Jews that are Christians. Are you understanding that? So, this is Jews having a Jewish communication. Then he says, listen, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began, by, uh, began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us 
by them that heard him. So if, how shall we escape? He's not referring to the Christian. He's referring to the Jew. How shall we escape as Jews? How shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation? And this salvation was spoken to us by the Lord himself. Remember, God has spoken by the Son. Or God has spoken these last days by the Son. And what the Son spoke actually is great salvation. I want you to catch this. It's great salvation. So how shall we escape if we neglect this salvation? Because these Jews, some of them were not born again. And some of them were thinking Moses is bigger than Jesus. And angels are bigger than Jesus and stuff like that. And say, listen, God spoke by the prophet. And prophet here, he's referring to, he's referring to the prophetic books, which includes all the prophets, plus, plus Moses, which they consider to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest prophet. All right, this is, how shall we escape if we neglect the word, the great salvation message that was preached to us by the Son? How shall we escape? All right, then he says that those in the Old Testament, our fathers, our people who rejected the words of angels, in other words, the Ten Commandments, the words that came to them from, 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 from the law, the angels that spoke to them, those who rejected the word actually died. All right, they received a just recompense. All right, then he says that, um, so he says, oh my goodness, I don't want to read the whole chapter, but all right, let's do seven. He says, verse six, let's do six, let's do five. Anyways, we're going to do everything. Then he says, verse four, <laughs> God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. For unto the angels have he not put in subjection the world to come, wherefore we speak. But in one certain place testify, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visited him? Thou makes him a little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with the glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hand. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Talking about Jesus. For in that he put all things under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we don't see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with, the glo uh, sorry, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Then listen, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. The sons unto glory here is not referring to the Gentiles. The sons unto glory here refers to the Jews. Remember, we're reading the book of Hebrews. So bringing many Jews unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So it's saying that Jesus Christ came to die for you. All right, then verse 11, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one father, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. The brethren here is referring to Jews. All right, so Jesus came as a Jew. Jesus became the brethren of the Jew to save them. I know we use this scripture to apply it to ourselves and that is not wrong, to, that's not wrong at all because we are from the same family with Jesus. All right, Ephesians 3.14 speaks about that. But let's continue. So he says that, so saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praises unto thee. And again, I'll put my trust in him again. Behold, I and the children which God hath given me, Jesus is talking. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So he's still talking about the Jews. He says that because these Jews were human beings, he also became saved. 
I'm going to show to you that it's, it's, it's the Jews. Listen. Then he says, and deliver them, 15, deliver them who through fear of death were their lifetime subject to bondage. For, verse 16, for, it means because. Because surely he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham here, he's, he's saying that he became like a Jew. All right, the seed of Abraham here is not saying he became a human being. He became a Jew. He became a human being in the nationality of a Jew. So he became a Jew. So listen, the author here is bringing his audience who are Jews to come. He's picking them up to understand that Jesus became a Jew. You get the point. And although we have had Moses, although we have had angels, manifestation of angels and all of that, Jesus Christ came with great salvation in word to give. But in that he will give, in that he gave that life first, or that salvation first, he died. He became a man and died. And the man he became, he came in the fashion of a Jew. So he's rather telling the Jew what they had. Why they shouldn't neglect that great salvation in verse 1. So he says that, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to also, oh my goodness, he's able to also succor them that are tempted. So he's able to help. He's able to bring aid. He's able to relieve anyone that is suffering. All right, now let's go to three. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So now he's referring to Jews who are Christians who are trying to move away. So he's telling them that, listen, holy brethren, particularly holy calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our faith. Then he says, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. So Jesus was, a, was faithful and Moses was also faithful. And remember, he's talking to Jewish Christians in this regard. Verse 3. For this man was counted of more glory than Moses, in, inasmuch as he who had built the house had more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that builded all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house. As a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken. So he's still talking about he's having a juxtaposition. He's just opposing Jesus with Moses. All right. To be able to, to be able to persuade those who are tilting towards the side of Moses. Moses here actually refers to the law and everything that is stood for. And that is what Hebrews addresses. Verse 6. But Christ as a son. Moses as a servant, Christ as a son, as a son over his own house, whose house we are. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So he says that, listen, we are the, the house of Christ. We are truly the house of Christ. And this is how we are going to know we are the house of Christ. If we hold on to the end. So we have this church made of Jews true Jews who are born again truly and those who are part of the church who are not born again but identify themselves as Christians. We're going to see them in chapter 10. And Paul, oh, did I say Paul? We don't really know the author. I'm thinking it's Paul, but anyway. Some say Apollos. Let's forget about the authorship. The author is saying that 
Listen. We are the house of Christ if we hold on our confession to the end. What does that mean? It means that your holding on to the end shows that you have left Moses and you are with Christ. I know some people say that, so what if you hold and you left? No, you can't leave. That's not what he, he's not preaching losing of salvation here in the verse 6. He's saying that we are truly his people if we hold on our confession to the end and our confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost said, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. So now, the, if, if you don't, if you are not technical with this, you would not know when he's shifting and discussing someone else. So he says that when you hear him today, don't harden your voice. Who do you think he's talking about? Let's continue. Then he says that when your fathers, so as Jews, when your fathers, so he's talking to people, the Jewish that the Jews that oppose or the Jews who are not convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, but have found themselves around. He says that, listen, when you hear his word today, as you are hearing this message today, as I'm writing to you today about Jesus Christ, don't harden your heart. As in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when our fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. So these are guys who never entered into his rest. So he says, don't become like them. Then he says that, take heed, brethren. Take heed, brethren. So if you don't take time, you will think that he's talking to Christians. No. Take heed, brethren. Brethren here, take heed, my Jewish brothers. Take heed. You know, Paul, Paul made this statement when he was writing Romans. Quickly, let's go there. I'm going to come back right now. But let's go to Romans. Let us go to Romans. Let me show you that Paul could refer to them as brothers. You get it? But they weren't born again. Now, let's look at that. This is a very wonderful study. Don't you like it? Say, I like it. All right. Romans chapter 10. He says, Brethren, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for every uh, for sorry, for Christ the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the Lord, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh. So here too, Paul is saying that listen, my kingsmen, my people, the Jew, my heart's desire is for them to be saved. Can we go back to, let's go back to what we actually have. But um, let's look at, before that, let me show you something in, in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. I say the truth, verse 1. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ 
for, for my brethren. So Paul refers to my brethren, my king's men, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory, and the covenant and the giving of the law, and the service of God and the promises, who are whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever and ever. Amen. So you see, the same thing in, in Hebrews. He's referring to Jews as brothers. There are sometimes he's, he's talking about Christians, Christians who are Jews, and then he's talking about Jews who, who are not Christians. So there's that twist in there. So brethren, in the book of Hebrew, is not always referring to the church. Let's go back to what we're reading. That's the point I just wanted to make. All right. So let's get in there. We're at 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any one of evil heart, um, of unbelief, 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 in departing from the living God. In what? In departing. From, the word departing there is also aphistemi. Um, like, um, I think it's, a, it's, it's that word that talks about um, um, apostasy. So he says that, take heed, brethren, Lest, therefore, there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. So take heed, my Jewish brothers. Take heed, my Jewish brothers. My Jewish brothers here refer to all the total audience. Take heed. Lest there is any of you who is part of us but has not believed. Lest there be any of you with an unbelieving heart. Alright? In departing from the living God. This is what I want you to do. But exhort one another while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, the sin, the deceitfulness of sin here also must be decoded. Nothing of fornication here. Nothing of stealing here. Let's continue. He says that because the deceitfulness of sin, remember, full stop, listen, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. For we, because, the word for me is because, because we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So we are, we are true Christians. This is how we will know that you are true Christians. It's not by association with the church and all of that. If you hold on to the end. You get it? If you hold on to the end. Then he says, while it is called today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke, how be it, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that has sinned? So he's talking about, we, we made mention of deceitfulness of sin, and we have seen sin here. Listen, just don't think about your data. This is a long, exhaustive study, and I want us to do it once and for all. So stay with me. Buy more data, and let's watch. All right. So he says that, was it not with them that sinned? So we have to know, what sin did they commit? What sin did they commit? We heard deceitfulness of sin that hardens their heart, and we have heard sin here. So we must know in context the kind of sin he's talking about. All right. Whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So he's talking about people who were part of the people, people who 
who were walking with them, people who came out together, people who heard the word together, we are going to see that, who heard the word together, but they chose not to believe. That he's telling the fellow Jews that, listen, don't repeat the mistake of your fathers. This has nothing to do with the Gentiles. Don't repeat the mistake of your fathers. Who disbelieved? After all the things they saw, you get it? They partook in the Holy Ghost. They were enlightened. This is where this thing is coming from. And I wanted you to catch it. You get it? They partook of the Holy Ghost. They were enlightened, but they didn't believe. Then he's, he continues. He says that, um, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They saw the Lord do mighty miracles. Look at that. He, he says that, he says that, um, um, okay, so let's get back to verse 9. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. So they saw the works of God. They tasted of the works of God. They partook of the works of God, but they didn't believe. You understand the point? They didn't believe. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. All right, let's go to verse 4. I'm um, sorry, chapter 4. Let us therefore fear. So he's talking, who do you think he's talking to? Christians or Jews in general who are playing like a desical with Jesus. Those are the people. The people who have not believed in the church or whatever or the Jews or the, 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 the Israelites who are downplaying what Jesus Christ came to do for them. Remember, now he says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us, unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. So what does that mean? They received the word. They heard the word. They partook of the word. They received of the word. Then he says, the word was preached unto us as unto them. But the word preached unto them did not profit them because they did not mix. He says that, let me read it. He says, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So the problem, he's telling them that the problem of your fathers was that they heard the word and they did not believe the word. And do not become like your fathers. So, do you think he's talking to those who have believed or those who, are, who have not believed and he's telling them to believe? Exactly so. He's telling those who have not believed to believe and not live in unbelief. So, this is how you are able, see from chapter 1, this is how you are able to carry that throughout. If we had time, I would have read the whole, chap, the whole book of Hebrews. And you see that there's nothing confusing in Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10. When he talks about the willful sin, the, there remaining no more sacrifice. We're, we're going to get there. We're, we're get there. Now, so he says that, um, verse 3, verse 3, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, I have, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake, let me read from BB so that we can get, we can get it well. For in one place he said of the seventh day, and God had rest from all his works on the seventh day. And in the same place, he says again, they will not come into my rest. So, it, so that as it is clear that some have to go in 
and that the first hearers of the good news were not able to go in because they were against God's orders. King James says, because of, um, where is this verse? Where is this verse? All right. Verse 11. No. Seeing therefore it remained that some must enter there in verse 6. And they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. So he says that like your fathers, they never entered. They saw it. They tasted it. They partook of it. When the manna came, it came for everybody. When the food came, everybody got it. When the water came, everybody got it. When the law came, when the law came everybody got it. But it's not everybody that entered. Because of unbelief. You get the point? So they saw, they tasted, they ate, but they did not go in because of unbelief. Now, let's continue. Then verse, verse 7, BBE again. After a long time, again, naming a certain day, he says in David, today, as he have said, as he had said before, today, if you will let, if you will let his voice come to your ears, be not hard of heart. Listen, so he says that, listen, God promised rest for the people in Moses, but Moses could not give them the rest because of their unbelief. So because of that, God, the Spirit inspired David to prophesy of another day of rest. Why? Because the first day of rest could not be enjoyed because of unbelief. So the problem, he's telling them that the problem of your fathers was that they heard the word and they did not believe the word. And do not become like your fathers. So do you think he's talking to those who have believed or those who, are, who have not believed and he's telling them to believe? Exactly so. He's telling those who have not believed to believe and not live in unbelief. So this is how you are able, see from chapter 1, this is how you are able to carry that throughout. If we had time, I would have read the whole, chap, the whole book of Hebrews. And you see that there's nothing confusing in Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10. When he talks about the willful saying that there remaining no more sacrifice, we're going to get there. We're going to get there now. So he says that, um, verse three, verse three: For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, I have, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake. Let me read from BB so that we can get we can get it well. For in one place he said of the seventh day. And God had rest from all his works on the seventh day. And in the same place, he says again, they will not come into my rest. So, it, so that as it is clear that some have to go in and that the first hearers of the good news were not able to go in because they were against God's orders. King James says, because of, um, where is this verse? Where is this verse? All right. Verse 11. No. Seeing therefore it remained that some must enter there in verse 6. And they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. So he says that like your fathers, they never entered. They saw it. They tasted it. They partook of it. When the manna came, it came for everybody. When the food came, everybody got it. When the water came, everybody got it. In the same way, we can say that Joshua took the people to the promised land. So we can say Joshua gave them rest. Then the author now says, let me tell you the truth. Even Joshua did not give them rest. And that is why after Joshua, 
David still prophesies of David still prophesied of another resting day. Can you imagine? Joshua couldn't give. He says, "Let us labor and enter into that rest." All right. So we are going to see how to labor and enter. Then he says, "Let us labor and enter into that rest." Let any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So, my Jewish brothers, let us labor to enter, so that none of you will fall in that example of unbelief, like your fathers. You get the point? Are you, are you fine with that? All right, so let's continue. Then he says, listen, oh, glory to God. I like the word of God. Then he says, for the word of God is quick. Remember, God has spoken through the son in chapter one. Now, let me tell you something. The Bible was not written in chapters. It was a um, the book of Hebrew, whatever book, was not written in chapters. There were just one book. It was just one book. And it was theologians for easy comprehension. They gave it chapters and verses. But sometimes when you read the Bible, you find out that where they placed the chapter was very wrong. Sometimes even their punctuation is very, very wrong. I can give an example, but because of our time. So he says, listen, for the word of God is quick. Which word are we talking about? The word God spoke by the son. He says, for the word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of joint and marrow, and is a discerner of thought and intent of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Oh my God, for the word of God is quick. Remember, for the word, for the word, the word for is because. So he says, let us labor and enter. Let us labor and enter. Nobody should fall. By that example we have in unbelief, let us, Jewish brothers, let us labor. Let us, let, let, let us labor because the word of God is quick. You know what? Let us labor. Let us believe because the word that is spoken by the son is quick. It can't fail. You, you, you get a communication. It is quick. It is sharper than any two edges. It's a working word. And what word is that? Great salvation. In chapter 2, great salvation. Let's continue. He says, uh, where are we now? Can you tell me where we are? Verse 14, verse 13, neither is there any creature that is, that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked of Moses and the priest that we have, as at the time he was writing. Listen, they offer, they offer for sins for themselves. You know, they offer for sins for themselves and then for the people. Then he says that, and no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. You see, you see, I have not known that there is Aaron here, but contextual study will gradually lead you to what the Bible is saying. Listen, I've just been keeping, I've just been mentioning Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. Here is Aaron. Brother Aaron, can you imagine brother Aaron is in chapter 5 verse 4? Alright, so he says, so also, listen, and no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron, so also, Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, thou art my son, he's taking us back to chapter 1. Today have I begotten thee, as he also said in another place, Thou art high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, talking about the days of the flesh of Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong cries and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared him, or in that he feared. So Jesus prayed to God, all right, for the deliverance uh, 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 to the one who was able to deliver him from death. And God heard him. So, you know, I heard that um, common sense guy quote this scripture to say there's contra uh, contradiction in the Bible. 
the Bible, Hebrew says that God heard Jesus, yet Jesus died. So the Bible is false. Now that's crazy. That's stupid. I mean, here it's not working. God heard him. How did God hear Jesus? By raising him from the dead. All right. So verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became, oh, glory. Oh, boy. This is, wow. Listen. And being made perfect. What does that mean? Being made perfect more than Aaron. Being made perfect more than Moses. Being made perfect more than all these guys that you Hebrews, you're looking up to, you're trying to look at it and become like, like a desiccal with Jesus. He says, Jesus, having been raised from the dead, oh, glory to God, being more perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. I want to jump unto all them that obey him. So to them that obey, he's talking to the Jews. To them that obey, what does that mean? To them who believe Jesus who, who, who is the author of eternal salvation. It means salvation, the salvation Jesus offers is eternal. I'm going to talk to you about that very soon. Then he says, Oh my goodness. Verse 10. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek of, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be honest. Seeing ye are dull of hearing. He's talking to the Jewish brothers. You're dull of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again which the first principles of the oracles of God and have become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Look at the kind of life they were living. So they were always moving back and forth. With the law of Moses, it's Christ, it's Moses, it's Christ, it's Moses, it's Christ. And, and the other says that you should, you, should, you should have packed out from that babyistic attitude long time ago. So because of this, I can't really share so much with you. You get the point. So he's referring to those who are born again, tolerating all this debate. You know, like, like you've been born again for 10 years and you're still debating whether baptism saves or not. And, uh, you know, whether tight, Christians pay tight or they don't pay tight. Do we pay tight in the New Testament or we don't pay tight in the New Testament? You know, and say these things, you should outgrow them long time ago. Let's talk about serious matters. All right. So remember, he says, by the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that people teach you little, little things. This Moses things and stuff like that. You should have grown, you should have outgrown it long time ago. But anyway, then he says, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. <laughs> In the word of right, what is the word of righteousness? The scripture will explain. For it's a babe, but strong meat, which is the word of righteousness, belong to them that are of full age, even those who have who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Both good and evil here is not referring to masturbation and something else. He's not referring to holiness and something. No, both good and evil here refers to the law, what Moses stands for, which is evil. And what Jesus stands for. He's not talking about sin at all. Alright? So what Moses stands for is evil. It's evil. So you see what I was talking to you about. Contextually, this evil will not refer to the evil that you know. I can give you another example. You know Jesus says that the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill and destroy. But I'm come that you might have life. And you know, the whole world, a lot of people say the thief is the devil. Jesus, go check John 10, 10. The thief wasn't the devil. The thief dead. Jesus was talking about Moses. He was talking about Elijah. He was talking about all those who came before him. The prophet who came before him, Jesus called them thieves. You get it? And thieves there, if you look at it from your understanding of a thief, you would think that Jesus Christ insulted them. 
But the scripture defining who a thief is in John 10 actually simply means one who couldn't give life. So that's how you study the Bible. Where are we now? How did I even say that? Let's go to chapter 6. So listen, I'm coming to chapter 6, right? So look at the communications from chapter 1 to where we've got into. So chapter 6, he says, therefore, why did he start chapter 6 with therefore? It means chapter 6 is connected with chapter 5. Of which chapter 5 connected to chapter 4, 4 connected to 3, 3, 2, 2, 1. All right, so let's read the last two verses. He says, For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, therefore, because I want you to grow, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, therefore, leaving the, now actually in the construction of the Greek, it means leaving the doctrine of the first, uh, uh, leaving the beginning word, right? It means the, 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 um, the fundamentals, so to speak. Let us go on to perfection. Let us go on to maturity. Remember in chapter five, he spoke about maturity there. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Foundation of repentance from dead works, the Jews understood. What does that mean? It actually refers to the law. It refers to the law. It refers to righteousness by the law. The Bible calls it dead works. All right? Dead works. I don't have time. And um, of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms. I know this chapter two, um, verse 2. People say there are several baptism, baptism in Christianity. We have water baptism, spirit baptism. Um, I used to preach that. I said there are three kinds of baptism, right? Um, baptism of the spirit. Baptism with water. And I've forgotten the rest. You know, God has cleaned my mind. These baptisms here, the word baptism is not referring to baptisms, as in baptism. The word baptism is plural. And it's not referring to different kinds of baptism in Christ. In Christ, the Bible says that in Ephesians, the Bible says we have only one baptism. One baptism, which is the baptism of the Spirit. So it's not talking about different baptisms. The word baptism here actually refers to washings. So the Jews... We're doing washings, you know, ablutions, all right? You're going here, you have to wash. You know, Jesus was even accused that your disciples, when they eat, they don't wash their hand at all. You have to talk to them. So he's talking about different kinds of washings, all right? So I think a version got it. I don't know if it's BBE. Oh, goodness. All right, so let's continue. And of resurrection of the dead and of eternal doctrine of baptism and of laying on of hands. Laying on of hands actually here refers to when the people went to, you know, you go and take the, the horn. Is it the horn? The horn of the altar or something like that for mercy. You get You go take it for mercy. So that is what he's referring to here. He's not talking about, I know, I have used this scripture before to teach that there's a doctrine called doctrine of laying on of hands. It's not true. If you heard it, it's not true. Doctrine of baptism, different kinds of... That one too is not true. He's talking about things that are in the Jewish context, not in the Christian context, the Jewish context. That is the, the scripture here. Then he says that, and this we will do. It means this will teach you when we come. If God permit and we, are, we come, we'll, do, we'll, we'll teach you. For, so you see the communication. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, if they, shall, if they shall fall away, if they shall fall away, if they shall fall away, if we shall fall away, if they shall fall away, it means that he's not talking to Christians. 
He's talking to those who are close to us. I know, you know, people will just, people will just say, number one, these people were enlightened. Number two, they tasted the heavenly gift. And sometimes, you know, people who preach once they forever saved, when this scripture comes, they are put in a tight box because when the people begin to say, they were enlightened, they were tasted, and they were partakers of the, heavy, the Holy Ghost and all that, you know, they will say that these people didn't eat, they only tasted you know, and then those people who are combating will say that that's the same word the Bible used when it says Jesus tasted death for every man. So did Jesus eat death or taste death? You know, but in explaining, um, in explaining, sorry, in explaining this this scripture, if you take it enlightened, this this you are doing yourself no good. Why? He's saying that it is impossible those who were once enlightened have tasted heavenly gifts, were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, tasted the good word of the Lord and parts of the world to come, if they shall fall away. What is he talking about? We have an example given us in chapter 3 and 4 about people who were with the, who, who were called, God says they saw my works. They were partakers of my works, you know? So this refers to people who, who received the word of God. You get who heard, who were enlightened. So Paul spoke about the fact that the Jew actually was a teacher of the foolish. You get it? You, you say that you were a Pharisee, you are, you are a Jew, and you were a teacher of the foolish and all of that. These people are people who have received an enlightenment. The Bible says, what advantage have the Jew? The Jew, he says, chiefly in every way, much more. He says that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So they received the word. The word of God came to them direct from God. Not like the Gentiles. So these are people who were enlightened, who tasted the word of the Lord, who were partakers of the Holy Ghost. These are people who, who saw mighty works of God and even benefited. You understand the point? Paul is still talking in Jewish context. You get it? Jewish context. So he says, if these people, after this, like the people who disbelieved, after they heard God, after they saw God's word, after God did all he could do with them, still the Bible says that they had evil heart of unbelief. They didn't believe. So it says that these people, after they have heard, after they had received, if they, not us, not we, and remember, even sometimes in the we, the we in the Hebrews context, in the book of Hebrews context, we must know which of the we, because the author is a Jew. Because if he's not a Jew, he wouldn't be able to write these things in details. You get the point. So listen, if they shall fall away. So who, who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about those who have come close. Those who have enjoyed word. Those who have enjoyed the Holy Ghost have become partakers of the Holy Ghost. Those who have been enlightened, they have received the gospel. They, so remember, he says, unto us was the gospel preached like it was also preached unto them. But they did not profit because they did not mix it with faith. How is it possible for these guys who were enlightened, partakers of the Holy Ghost, and people who have tasted the, the word of God and all of that, how is it possible for them to fall away? The author says, if they fall away, it's not possible to renew them again unto repentance, seeing that they crucify unto themselves the Son, again, the Son of God afresh. So why is it possible for somebody to, to taste, to partake, to eat, to know, to all of these things, to be enlightened and fall away. How are they able to fall away? Unbelief. Unbelief. So he's saying that after you have been enlightened, my brother, after you have known the word, 
like your fathers in the old, after you have known it, after you have partaken of the Holy Ghost, like your fathers in the, in the old, where the Spirit of God led them, and all of that, after these things, if they shall fall away, if these people, if these Jews, if you fall away, it is not possible to renew you again unto repentance. Why? Because, because, because um, they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. So as long as they disbelieve, they have nothing to do with Christ. All right? That nothing is like Christ dying over and over and over again. Then he says that for the earth, listen, for the earth which drinketh in the rain that come off oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, now he's talking to the Christian, the saints. The Christian who is born again. Listen, the word of God is more. It's just more. Listen, he says, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. So to the Christian, to the Christian, he says, beloved, you are not like a taster. You are not like you have tasted, you have been enlightened. He's talking to the Christian. So as a Christian, you have been enlightened, you have tasted, you have known the good word of the Lord, you have partaken of the Holy Ghost and all of that, but you have added something. That's why you're not going to fall away. What you have added to your tasting, your enlightenment, and all of that is that you have believed. So he says that, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. Though we speak this way, if it comes to you, we are, we are persuaded. And then he says, for God is, un, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which we have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints, and do minister. So to the saint, I, uh, we are persuaded of something better. So it's Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, written to show that a Christian can lose his salvation. It will be, it will be, it, it is a total absurdity, a lack of study to use Hebrews 6 as a proof that one can lose his salvation. Hebrews 6, 4 is referring to the one who has heard the word, who has been enlightened. Who has and this is actually referring to the Jew, it cannot be a Greek, it's referring to the Jew, one who boasts himself that the word of God came to us in Hebrews, um, Romans chapter 3. That chiefly the, the, the oracles they, they received the oracle of God and all of that, they have been enlightened, they partook of God, they ate the manna, and blah 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 blah, partook of the food and all of that, tested of the powers to come, and yet they fell away. How did they fall away? Unbelief. It is not like they rejected Christ, though. it's not like they believed and rejected, no. They heard it, they partook it, they enjoyed it. Like what I, I read to you in Matthew. The word did not have root. So by and by, they were offended. So they could even come out and enjoy. Look, look at that. I wish we had time to go through the Old Testament. God gives the manna. The first day God gives the manna. Oh, indeed, God is God. My goodness. Oh, my God, you are God. They ate the manna. Suddenly they come and say, God, we are tired of the manna. Give us meat. God brings meat. He said, we need this. We need that. And they murmured against God. It means that their relationship with God was not based on having trust, believing in the word of God. And he carries that, that same um, picture and throws it to the, to the now Jew of his time. 
to let them know that don't be like them. Don't partake. Don't be enlightened. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. And not add faith to it. Be a partaker. Be enlightened. Taste the word and all of that. But don't fall away. How do you fall away? Disbelief. Unbelief. So how don't you, how will you not fall away? By adding belief to one's enlightened. So you have been enlightened. You've tasted. You've, this, this, you've done that. You've done that. But you add belief to it. So that you don't fall away. So after, as a Jew, as, as a Jew, after you hear about Jesus Christ, partaking of all these things, you add faith to it. Alright, so where are we now? Very, very beautiful. Then he says that, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of, uh, than accompanying salvation, for God is not unrighteous. Verse 11, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope unto the end. My brothers and sisters, this is not a joke. So, come on, push it. It's going to work. Push it. Then he says that, that you be not slothful. Don't be slothful. Don't, don't follow this Jewish stuff. Kill this, kill this animal and stuff. Don't be slothful if you are believing Jesus. Then he says, for, he says, don't be, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater. Now, Paul is making a wonderful case. He swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, that is the Jews, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two, my God, Kadabaya, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. Those of us who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So he says that by two immutable things, God, it is impossible for God to lie. So that those of us who have fled, who have fled for refuge, those of us who have believed in Jesus, so that we will have strong consolation. Verse 6, verse 19, sorry. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entered into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Forgive me, in my Bible studies, that's what I do. You meet me, I'm just shouting every day. Listen, verse, now, chapter 7. Can, can we do chapter 7? Okay, so, anyway, let's leave it here. Let's go to 10. Let's go to 10. So, I've explained Hebrews chapter 6. You have, to, you have known that Hebrews chapter 6 has nothing to do. Has nothing to do, has nothing to do, has nothing to do, has nothing to do with a Christian. All right. Now, Hebrews chapter 10. All right, okay. Now, listen. Um, it's in verse 26. Listen. For if we sin willfully... Hmm. If we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remained no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses of how much more sorrow punishment 
Suppose he shall he be thought worthy who had trodden underfoot the, the, the Son of God and had counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. Uh, he said he was sanctified. And a holy thing and had done despite unto the spirit of grace. For we know that we know that had said, we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. You know, so we say, the Bible says, if we sin willfully. If we sin willfully. Who is he talking about? That is the question. Now, follow through with the, what I've given you. Just follow through, read Hebrews, you understand. But let me help you quickly because I'm out of time already. Um, for the Lord having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things that can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comments there unto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once spread should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices in the Old Testament, he's still talking about the Jews. He's talking to the Jews about the Jews, you know. Uh, uh, those sacrifices, there is remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings, would it, that would is not, but the body has thou prepared me in bent. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and, and burnt offering and offering for sin, that would is not, neither hast thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will. Jesus is talking. He taketh away the first covenant. And that he may establish the second. So Jesus does that. Then he says, by the which will. <laughs> so he says, I come to do thy will. Jesus says, I come to do thy will. And then he says that by the will of God, which Jesus came to do, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Once for all. So to us who have believed, we have been sanctified once for all. So he's talking, he's talking to the Jews. The Jews. Then he tells them that by the sacrifice of Jesus, there is a once for all sanctification. Does it include the Jews? Of course, yes. Does it include the Gentiles? Of course, yes. So I'm saying he's saying that listen, by the sacrifice of Jesus, there's once for all sanctification for everybody. It is it is it is left to you to believe. That you are once for all um, sanctified and you have no need of animal's sacrifice in verse 1. Then it says, every high priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, talking about Jesus, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. He did it once. So he's telling his... This is like evangelism. He's telling them Jesus did it once. What is coming to them? Knowledge is coming to them, right? The knowledge of the gospel is coming to them. That is what the author is doing. He's telling them what Christ did. So, all right. Then he says, For from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his foot too. That's 13, 14. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So, my brothers, for by one offering, there is perfect perfect. Uh, perfection. There's perfect uh, 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 sanctification of all those who believe. So why don't you believe? Why would you, why would you give yourself to animal sacrifices and all of that? Because for by one offering, 
Jesus had done it all. He's done it all. So he's still talking about the what they were doing at the time. Some who were Christians, some were not Christians, who were all of them wanted to do that, kill animals and stuff like that. And he's telling, listen, whether you are a Christian or you are not a Christian, as a Jew, this is something Jesus Christ has done for all of us. So those of you who have not believed, it's better for you to believe. All right, let's continue. So he says that, verse 15, where of the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. So in this new contract, in this new covenant that Jesus Christ establishes with the Father, in this new covenant, sins are not remembered. So there is no need for you to go and offer sacrifices to God to forgive your sins because in Christ, sins are not remembered. So he's talking to the Jews, all right? So he's still doing the evangelism. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, not by bull's blood, not by the ashes of an ava, not all of them, but he says that, who having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So he tells them that, listen, we go into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, no more the blood of bulls. He's teaching them. He's teaching the, the, the entire church, which was a mixture of believers and non-believers, but all of them had one descent, which is a Jewish descent, right? All right. It is the having the boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, a new and living way, so the Jew understood it. When he said a new and living way, he's referring to a new way, which is Jesus Christ. Then he says, a new and living way, which he had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. So the new and living way now is Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about. So he's, he's lecturing them, he's teaching them. And having an high priest over the house of God, <laughs> which is the house of God, what is the house of God in this context, the Jewish nation, over the house of God, let us draw near. You see the point? So this, after communicating this to you, Jesus did this, Jesus did that, Jesus did that. Now, this is our responsibility. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. An evil conscience here is not, I will kill him or I will kill him. Evil conscience here refers to the conscience of, it's talking about sin consciousness, all right? And our bodies washed with pure water. He's not talking about water baptism. So listen. Oh my good. I wish I had time for this. Pure water here is in opposition to the doctrine of baptisms. Which is washings with various water. So pure water here refers to the water that is pure. This is not baptism. Water that is pure. Which is what? Sanctification. The sanctification. The sanctification. Remember. He has perfected forever them that are sanctified. They are washed. They are cleansed. All right. Let's continue. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering to the Christians now. For he is, our, for he is faithful, that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and unto good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But exalting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So he's preached the gospel. This is what we have to do. He, he's, he, he's preached that to both of the guys. Those who are Jewish people who have believed and those who are Jewish people who have not believed. 
all of them in one place. Then he says that, for if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. So what is the knowledge of the truth he's talking about? And who is he talking to? He's talking to the people who just heard him. Some were Christians, some, some were Jews Christians, some were not Christians. So if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, so who is he talking about? Who are those who are going to say willfully? The Jewish, the Jews who are not born again, but have come to the knowledge by what he has shared with them. And the willful sin then would mean that if we reject the message I'm telling you, if we reject, if you reject the word I'm sharing with you, if this word I'm sharing with you, if you still reject it and would want to go back into the old system of the law, and you wouldn't want to believe now, having told you these things, if we sin willfully. So the we sin, we sin willfully here refers to the Jew that have heard what the author is talking about right now and still are saying that I'm not convinced. He says, if we sin willfully, there is no more sacrifice for sins. We, there, is, there is no other sacrifice for sin again. What you are doing, if you, still, if you sin willfully, if you reject and still say you are sacrificing for sins, actually that sacrifice is not sacrifice. There's no sacrifice for sin. But there remaineth but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy. Of how much punishment do you think it's worth? The one who, who, the one who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So listen, the guy who disbelieves the message as a Jew, as a Jew, I told you the sanctification here is not to Christians. The sanctification here is not to Christians alone, it's to the Jews, all right? In context, to the Jews, he's telling them we are all sanctified. But you got to believe this to have it. So he says that, of how much sorrow punishment, suppose he, shall he be thought worthy, who had trodden underfoot, the one who rejected the message? Because the one who rejected Moses' message didn't go scot-free. So how much punishment do you think is worth it? The one who rejects the message of Jesus Christ. Then he says, for we know him that said vengeance is the Lord and blah, 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 blah. All right. So let's look at, um, because of our time, right? So let's look at it. So verse, um, still reading, verse 38, he says, now the just shall live by faith. The just shall not live by by." sacrificing of animals and all of that. The righteous man lives by faith. But if any man draw back, what is the drawback? The drawback here is not rejecting Christ. If any man draw back here refers to, if any man chooses not to live by faith. You see how to interpret scripture? If any man chooses not to live by faith, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. If you still want to do these Moses things, if you really want to give your heart to Christ truly, and you want to give your heart to Moses, then still do whatever you want to do. My heart shall not have uh, pleasure in him, in anybody like that. Then he says, but we are not of them who drop back onto perdition. Those of us who are believing in Jesus, we are not coming back. We are not of them who drop back onto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So we, we believe. So if you wouldn't believe, if you want to draw back, how do you draw back? Like I said, if you want to not believe, if you want to not add your faith to what you have heard, 
My soul have no pleasure in you. But for us, we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. But we believe to the saving of the soul. Now, chapter 11, verse 1. Just verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So, he's still communicating to them, telling them. Listen. Um, all right. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What is he saying here? He is really not defining faith here. No, he is not defining faith here. What he's telling them is this. Listen. Faith. The faith of the Jew. The faith of the Jew. The faith of the Jew. Remember, listen. Last verse. If any man draw back, but we are not of them that draw back. We have believed. We have believed. We have believed to the saving of our souls. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. So he's saying that faith is faith now. He's talking about faith in the chapter 10. Do you, do you get it? Let me read that again to you. Oh my God. My cameraman is no more laughing. I don't know if he's not happy. Forgive me, I talk long. But listen, he says that now the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Then he says that the faith that the just lives by is the substance of things hoped for. What are the substance of things hoped for? The, the evidence of things that are not seen. Oh my goodness. What is he talking about? The New Testament faith now is the substance of the Jewish practices. It is the evidence of the hope they wanted to achieve. This is what our faith is. The faith, the new creation faith is this. I made mention, this is not a generic definition of faith. Because in the Old Testament there is faith, in the New Testament there is faith. But this faith we are talking about, the now faith, the faith of the now, the faith which the just lives by, that faith is the substance of the things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So the things that were hoped for, the things that were hoped for, the faith that we live by or the faith of the just is the substance of it. Is the substance, like the Bible says, if righteousness came by the law, Christ died in vain. But righteousness is, or righteousness comes upon all and unto all that puts their faith in Christ. So the faith actually is what the law was looking for. And remember, we just left Hebrews 10. And Hebrews 10 one says, the law having a shadow of things to come and not the very image of the things. So the law had a shadow. The law had a hope. It had a hope of forgiveness. It had a hope of salvation. It had a hope of eternal salvation. It had a hope of one day when with this... Uh, sacrifice and offerings god says i'm not interested in when will it end what is the reality of this the reality of all these things is actually looking for looking for forgiveness what is the reality of the animal sacrifices the day of atonement passover and all of that what is the reality the reality of it is that we'll be forgiven and then chapter 11 verse 1 says that now faith faith is the substance so the substance has come so he says, for by it the others obtain a good report through faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word by faith. Abel offered, Obed, Abel offered unto God. Blah 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 blah. Talking about now talking about the faith of the elders, the faith of the Old Testament. Now he says that. Verse thirty-eight and says, and these all, having obtained a good report through their faith, the Old Testament guys through their faith. 
receive not the promise. Wow. So what is he talking about? They receive not the promise. Of all their faith, their faith which was a hope of the things to come, or, or their faith which, was, which, which had a hope, the things they practiced had a hope. But the faith of the now actually does not have a hope. The faith of the now is that the things have come. So therefore, salvation has come. Forgiveness has come. Therefore, we don't sacrifice anymore for them. Then he says that all these great guys, Sam, Saint Japhtar, these people, Abraham, and all of that. Then he says that they all got good report. They got good report through faith, but they never received the promise. Then he says, God having provided some better things for us. Listen, so he's talking, the us here is not referring to Christians. The us here refers to, refers to all of them as Jews, right? He says something better has come. Something better has come. God has put something better for us that they without us should not be made perfect. So Hebrews chapter 6 is not into, is not to, the 6, 4 there is not talking to Christians. He's not talking about a Christian who was once enlightened, tasted and blah, 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 blah. No. Hebrews chapter 10, willful sin. The Christian can't commit willful sin. Willful sin is the Jew that heard the word, that heard the gospel and actually said, I don't believe. I'll still do my Moses things. And if you want to do your Moses things, then it means that it is willful sin. And willful sin, actually, you don't go scot-free. You'll be dealt with. In other words, you will go to hell. If you reject Jesus, you go to hell. That's what he's talking about. Now, I have taken a lot of time to talk to you about um, all these scriptures that are used for, uh, uh, that are used against the the message or the, 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 the one saved, forever saved. No, you have known that all these things are just misconceptions. You can't just pick, a, a, for example, a, a scripture is quoted that about the narrow way and the broad way and say that those who pass on the narrow way, they will be saved. And those who go on the, on, the, on the wide road, they will not be saved. So therefore, it is narrow. So you can lose your salvation. Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you do that? Why would you do that to the scriptures? Why? Why? Jesus actually said, there are two ways. The narrow, a lot of people don't go there. A lot of people are on the wider. That's what Jesus said. It is entering, not exit. He says they enter. He's not talking about leaving. He's talking about entering. So entering is different from exiting. Some people say the Bible, they say, it's not all those who come in, Lord, 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 that, that, that will be saved, but those who do it, the will of my father. Brother, why would you say that? Why? So it's not all Christians who will be saved. Why? Why would you say that? Why would you say that? He says, it is not all those who say, people who call me Lord, Lord. It's not all of them who will be saved. But those who do the will of my father. Jesus defined the will of his father. And the will of his father, he says that, and this is the will of the father. I think John 6, 39, this is the will of the father. That everyone who sees the son will believe in the son. And in believing, he will have life. So the will of the father, those who do the will of my father, actually means those who believe in me. You get it? And somebody said, um, the Bible actually said that in the last day, some people will come in to him and say, Lord, Lord, we use your name for miracles. We use your name for miracles. Prophet will prophesy in your name. And you say, oh, live here. I never, I met a guy in, at in the, the university, level 200, and he said, um, he asked me, what is your greatest fear in the Bible? I said, I don't have any. He said, what are you so scared of in the Bible? I said, I don't have any. The Bible communicates the word of God to me, and I'm not scared. Of anything. He said, listen, my greatest fear is the scripture that say that 
that says that the day will come and will say, oh, Lord, we use your name for miracles and all of that. But he will say, leave. I never knew thee, you workers of iniquity. You know, listen, Jesus said, I never knew thee. That is grammar. I never knew thee. What is the meaning of I never knew thee? I never knew thee means I never knew thee. He didn't say, leave. For once I know you, but now I don't know you again. No, he says that I never. And the word never there is ume. It's, it's a strong negative statement. It means I have never under any circumstance had an encounter with you before. So I don't know you. Get away. So he's not talking about one who was born again and lost his salvation. He's talking about one who was not born again, but was doing things in the name of the Lord. You get the point? So that is what it is. Actually, I don't know how many hours we've gone, but... I'm now coming into the message to let you know what the assurance that we cannot lose our salvation. All right, let's go to John chapter. Oh, goodness, I'm out of time already. John chapter 5, verse 24. Are there scriptures that assures the Christian? Are there scriptures that assure the Christian that our salvation is intact and cannot be lost? John chapter 5, verse 24. Hmm. Hey, goodness. My God. The word of God is something. So 24, I don't want my time to go. 24. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death, Unto life. Now Jesus is saying, he says, anybody who hears my word, believe on him that sent me, has everlasting life. What is the meaning of everlasting? Everlasting means everlasting. That is aeonus or aeonius. It means that something without limit. So the life that we receive by believing in Christ is everlasting. He never takes it back. All right. Then he says that he shall never... He shall not come into condemnation. He shall not. The word not there is all. All means not. All right? So he is, he is affirming that it's not going to happen. Then he says, but that person who has believed in me has passed. The word is metabino. All right? I don't know if I got it correct. The word is metabino. It means to exit from one location and be placed another at another place or another location. So it means that he has left the place of death. And this, the word death there in context actually is talking about spiritual misery, hell. So the one that is, the one that has believed has passed, has left the place of death. So there is no way you can be brought there because Jesus said he shall not come and he has passed. If you are on your way to Accra and your car has passed in Sawim, and you are going to Accra. There's no way as long as you have been there. Or you are carried there. You can't come back. As long as the, the face of the car is facing where you are going. There's no way you can come back. I said, what if you take reverse? He said, you have left. You have left means you have exited. You have, no, you have nothing to do. Like what the Bible says that he has delivered us from the power of darkness into the kingdom. So he, has, he took us from a place. And he has placed us in a place, a place of no return. All right. 
for the sake of our time. Ounce. Oh, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. Help me, Lord, thy great Jehovah. Let's go to John chapter 10. Oh, John chapter 10, verse 27. <laughs> John 10, 27. John 10, 27. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I told you, those people said, uh, Jesus said, I never know thee. Jesus says, if they were my sheep, I know them. So they were never the sheep of Jesus. So he says, I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. They shall never perish. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them to me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Amazingly. So he says that they shall never, I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never. The word never there is omay. It is a double negative statement which actually intensifies the negation. Alright? So it means that there is it actually means not under any circumstance. They shall, they shall not under any circumstance perish. Why? Because, listen, why? Because God who gave them to me is greater than all. And nobody can pluck them out of my father's hand. And nobody can pluck them out of my hand. So why is it not possible? So in fact, it is a wrong question to ask whether the Christian can lose his salvation or not. Who is the Christian? He is the one who is engrafted, who is tattooed into the hand of Jesus and in the hand of God at the same time. So we are kept by them. We are kept by the Father and we are kept by the Son. And he says, we shall under no circumstance perish. This is very, very important. This is what Jesus says, I give unto, unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man be able to pluck them out of my hand. You understand the point? All right, these guys will not let me explain, but I will not talk. All right, so let's look at um, John chapter 6. Let me take you to John chapter 6. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so you, I'm looking at the time. Wow. Jesus. This pressure, I think I have to, I have to close. Pastor Ben, what do you think? <laughs> All right. Now, let's look at something Jesus said. All right, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. The word in no wise actually is also ume. It means I will not under any circumstance cast out. He says, I will not drive out. I will not ekbalo out. I will not drive out. So anybody that comes to me, I would in no wise cast out. Then listen, for, oh Jesus, can these guys give me time? Listen, he says, anybody who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. For, in other words, because I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So the reason why I will not cast them out in any under, I would, I would under no circumstance cast them out is because I came from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the Father who sent me. 
and verse 39 so he tells us the will of the father and the will of the father is actually the reason why he cannot cast or he under no circumstance will cast out so he says that um he says this all right and this is the father's will which hath sent me that of all which he hath given me i should lose nothing but raise it up again at the last day. The Father's will for Jesus. The will of God for Jesus is that of all, of all that God gives Jesus, he should, he should not lose any. Of all that the Father has given Jesus, he should not give any. But look at what he says. But should raise it to, he should raise it. He should raise it. It means the it is equal to the all. What does it, what does it mean? The all is one. Come on. The all is one. It means that if Christ loses one, he loses all. If he saves one, he saves all. Or if he saves all, then he's saving the one. So Christ cannot lose one. Because if he loses one, he loses all. And this is the mystery of the church as the body of Christ. If you lose your hand, you don't have a complete body now. You get the point. So Jesus says that this is the will of the Father. That of all that he gives me, I should not lose anyone, but should be able to raise it up on the last day. So the, the, the duty or the responsibility, the task, the mandate, the commission of God for Jesus is to make sure he does not lose any, any of those that come to him. Have you come to him? So people say, uh, you can lose your salvation. It's, it's, it's an insult to the ability of Jesus. Why the Bible says in Jude 24, let me show you something. Jude chapter 24, who keeps who? Who keeps who? Jude, Jude 24. Oh goodness. I don't have time for this. Jude chapter 1 verse 24. Listen, he says that, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. The word is fulasso. Fulasso actually means to guard, all right? To guard a person that he may remain safe. That is the definition of the word uh, um, um, fulasso. It means to guard someone for the person to be safe, all right? All right. So he says, he is able unto him that is able to guard you safely from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So he's talking about Jesus. This is number one. Jesus is able to full assault you. He's able to guard you from falling. He's able to keep the Christian. He is able. He is able. He is able. He is able. He has the potency. He has the ability to keep from falling. That means Jesus' ability is not complete. The very moment one of those that he's keeping falls away. So he's able to keep us from falling. Listen, don't be a man of God and just say that there are people who are preaching once you forever save and they are saying that uh, whatever you do, you can do. Whatever you want to do, you can do and you'll be saved. That's, that is not it. Just don't be lazy. Sit down. Read. you see that you come out with this conclusion. I know some people will be like, eh, it's, it's not about knowledge. It's not about the Greek word. It's about power. All right. All right. Who told you Bible is not about language? Bible is about language. Bible is about language. Because if Bible is not about language, when the Bible, that's, you know, that's why people still call the Holy Spirit today. That 
Come and dwell in me. Spirit of God, come. Spirit of God, come. Father, we invite you. Come, 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 come. Whilst the Bible says that he has given him to us. So you don't pay attention to language. Don't pay attention to language. You see? So the language is that he's able to keep us from falling. Jesus is able to do exceedingly. He's able to do that with exceeding joy. All right? He's able to keep us. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. My goodness. Let me read. 1 8 first Corinthians because this is actually what the message is. 1 8 first Corinthians 1 8. Even as verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed, you so that you, you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end. Jesus is able to confirm you unto the end. The word confirm there is the bio, the bio means is able to make you strong and firm. He is able to establish you. He is able to keep you. He is able to ground you unto the end. He does that. His ability does not lapse on the way. He does not lose strength on the way. He is able to do it unto the end. So that, continue. He says, so that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son. So he's able to keep us. He is able to establish us. When you read, let me read something else to you. Oh, my, 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 my. First Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 13, he says that to the end he may establish your heart unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He is able to do it. He is able to do it. He does the establishment. He does the establishment. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Let's go to 1 Corinthians somewhere. Let's go to 1 Corinthians somewhere. Um, Corinthians, 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 Corinthians. Did I say 1 Corinthians actually? No, 2 Corinthians 1.21. Now, he which establisheth us. Now, the word establisheth there is also bibayo, which is the same as to save to the end. Bibayo, all right? He says, who... He who established us with you and has anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us <laughs> and given us the earnest of his spirit. I need a lot of time for this to explain to you what Arabon means, which is actually the word earnest. Uh, 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 Arabon is actually a down payment, all right? A down payment that the full amount will be paid subsequently. So God has given us the spirit as Arabon. We have been sealed with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is our Arabon. In other words, the Holy Ghost is our down payment. Down payment of what? It's a down payment that the salvation, the full salvation God has promised will be given. So in other words, if any Christian loses his salvation, then the Holy Ghost that was given to us was a joke because the Holy Ghost is God's vow that the salvation, which is spirit, soul, and body, will be completed. And now that you have the Holy Ghost in your spirit, be rest assured, you will be saved unto the end. You get the point. By the time they give me, 20 minutes they gave me, I'm done. It's, it's only left with four minutes. So let me help you with just two scriptures and make a simple conclusion. And then let's get out of here. Today, um, wow, 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 wow. All right, let me show you something. Um, let's go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, 
Hebrews chapter 7. So let me read from um, verse 21, verse 19, sorry. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath, by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And there truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by raising of death. This is where the message is. Glory to God. But this man, because he continued ever, had an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. Oosh, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lived to make intercession for them. Look at that. He says that in the old covenant, the, the people died. They died. So because of that, they didn't have permanent priest. Jesus Christ does not die. Because he does not die, he is made a priest. All right? After the order of Melchizedek. And what it means is that because Jesus does not die, he is able to save to the uttermost. Let me, let me, let me, let me help you. The word uttermost there is pantalus. And pantalus means he's able to save all complete. He is able to save completely, perfectly, without fault, without blame. So Jesus Christ, if any Christian loses his salvation, it will be an indictment on his priesthood. On his priesthood. He is a high priest who saves to the utmost. It means that the salvation that Jesus gives is irrevocable. Because even, oh goodness, brothers, we got to go. I mean, even if... The Christian does not live as he has to live. Listen, he is the high priest who offers gift. And he is the high priest who is making intercession for the Christian. So Jesus, as the high priest, is making intercession for the Christian. So you cannot lose your salvation. It is absurd to claim that a Christian can lose his salvation. What if he sins? Go back, I've answered it. What if he rejects Jesus? It can't happen. The Christian cannot happen because, listen... To, I have one minute. Listen, the reason why it cannot happen is that there are two laws at play. Number one, when you are not born again, he tells you to believe. It is the work you have to do. The only work you have to do is to believe. All right? After you believe, the will changes. After you believe, you are engrafted in his hand. So you, you no more have a say in what will happen afterwards. What if somebody believes in Jesus and says, I cannot, I, I, I don't want to believe again. All right, let me give you a perfect example. What happens if you give a wrong answer to an exam, to an exam, and you submit the paper to the lecturer? Afterward, your mind changes and you find the correct answer. You go back to the lecturer and say, lecturer, I found the correct answer. Give it to me and let me write. Would the lecturer agree? No. The lecturer in this case is God. For example, you stand on a high, on a high uh, 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 building, let's say a skyscraper, and then you decide that I want to fall down and commit suicide. All right, then you fall down because it's very high. As you are coming now, you are coming, you begin to say, no, I don't want to die again. Will you die or you will not die? You will die. Why? Because the moment you threw yourself down, another law took over, which is called the law of gravity. In the same way, before you got born again, you were on your own. That's why nobody forced you to believe in Jesus. 
So it was your work. You were being persuaded. The day you believe in Jesus, that will was handed over to Jesus. It was handed over to God. So you have no more say in what you would want to do. You have no more say. You can't say, I don't believe again. No, you can't say that. I'm out of time. You can't say, I don't believe again. No, 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 you can't say, I don't believe again. If you say you don't believe again, you are still on the ground, you will fall. And that is the destination of salvation. So don't think that salvation is just a mere thing. I believe that you have been blessed. And I would like to conclude here. I don't know how I'm going to conclude because I'm just in the middle of my message. I haven't gotten anywhere. I'm in the middle of my message. Let me conclude by this. The salvation that we have is this. Number one, we have eternal salvation. Hebrews 5.9. We have eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.12. We have eternal inheritance. Hebrews 9.15. We have eternal glory. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10. All these things are eternal, eternal, eternal. Eternal simply means eternal. It has no limit. If the salvation you receive could be lost or could come to a point that it ends, then that salvation is never the one that Jesus gave. Remember, Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. The salvation that comes from Jesus is the author. Shall we continue to sin having heard this? Of course, I explained in the, in the beginning. No, but the truth of the word of God will not be covered. And remember that this is the Dasko life. I'm still trying to find a way to land, my goodness. Anyway, God bless you so much. Yes. It has coming from my